The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome to a very special edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We are double dipping this week. Uh, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. And uh, we'll have our, we will have our regular show, obviously, this week. But we are doubling up because this week is a very important week for UCF Athletics. It is Hall of Fame Selection Week. And uh, we've been doing, as you may have noticed, on blackandgoldbanneret.com, SB Nation's home for UCF Sports. We uh, have been doing a lot of articles of late on uh, future UCF Hall of Famers in a bunch of different sports uh, and doing some look ba- looks back at some of those players that we feel are deserving of that recognition. Eric Lopez joins me now. You've been working super hard on this, um, and uh, it's... It's an embarrassment of riches, isn't it? <laughs> we gotta, we, it's too yeah, much, I mean, man. It's got, too many. First of all, I got my suit and tie so I, for this episode, so I'm ready to roll. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm wearing my I'm tuxedo not, t-shirt, so anyway. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not part of the committee because obviously, uh, you know, as we've done this process research and, you know, we, we kind of, you know, we, you and I decided to do this project just because we kind of wanted to push the idea of bringing the Hall of Fame back. We've been constantly asking, when would the Hall of Fame be back? We were there. We covered the last time UCF held the Athletics Hall of Fame, which was 2015, mm-hmm. which was headlined by Asante Samuel, Dee Brown, Stephanie Best, the 1978 volleyball team, uh, and hadn't won, hadn't won since. And then uh, UCF yeah. announced recently, what was it, a few weeks back, where the 2019 Hall of Fame and yeah. they allowed fans to actually put send some of the uh, nominate people. So, yeah, it was January 23rd that they opened it up, um, yep. and but they didn't give people very long to send in their nominations. And uh, the deadline was February 3rd, um, midnight right. Eastern, February 3rd. So that was pretty quick. Um, they uh, the they're going to select, uh, at least as, f- as far as we can tell, they're being very tight-lipped about this, but as far as we can tell, they're accepting, f- they're, the class is going to be five. Yeah, Probably no should, more than five. Should be more, if, since they've waited four years for this. But I, I agree with you, by the way, on that, because there's other schools yeah, that they should have do, a limit. Yeah, they should, they should do ten to, to make up for the year they missed two years ago, but, um, but, you know, like I said, I'm not in charge, but... Um, the qualifications, there's a couple of different sort of categories. There's legendary knights who are, um, you know, one letter award from participating in NCAA sanctioned sport, um, accomplished knights who were, uh, who were, uh, you know, extraordinary service and major contributions to the program, um, and recognized being as being exceptional in their chosen field of endeavor. And then an honorary letter winners category, which is basically like non-athletes, like former coaches, staff, administrators, donors, alumni, community leaders who were not letter winners at UCF. Um, so you know, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a whole, uh, 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 you know, you're, you're all stars, right? And then you're you know all-time great leaders, you know, uh, very popular athletes, and then you're not athletes, your coaches you know, staff and everybody else. So um, we'll put some, uh, we'll put the, the the links to this up on the show description. We'll also put the 
links to the current Hall of Famers in there. Um, you can actually, there are two teams that have been inducted. 1970 Volleyball National Champions and 2003 Cheerleaders who were national champions. Um, the uh, qualifications also, and we'll get into these in more detail in a little bit. Uh, you had to have been, uh, you, have to, you have to have earned your degree, um, demonstrated uh, good citizenship, uh, eligibility waiting period. If you, were, if you completed their eligibility and immediately graduated, um, you're eligible July 1st, seven years after the completion of your eligibility. Um, if you left UCF before the completion of your eligibility, so if you you know left early for, say, the NFL draft or something, but you received your degree later, it's 10 years after the date you left UCF. So I, so uh, you know that would you know make certain people like Brandon Marshall, for example, eligible, even though he left early and all that. So um, okay, let's. Uh, so so here we went all over the place on this um, with uh, a bunch of different football players who we feel should be future Hall of Famers. Some of them we did some things on uh, on them that, you know, maybe they're not technically eligible yet. But um, well, we also did some other sports uh, as well. We have a few more coming out. And uh, in the process of doing this, as you know, Eric, um, we found, you know, we, we were reached out to by a couple of uh, alumni who were like, you know, you really should talk to you about this. You know, it really belongs as this person or that person. And uh, we are lucky enough to talk to two of them in this podcast uh, from UCF football. One of them is Mark Giacone, who's still top 10 all-time UCF in rushing. He's a great player for UCF from 1987 through 1990. And uh, a, a teammate of his, uh, right before that, uh, when he was a freshman, Darren Slack, who's one of the great quarterbacks in UCF history. So we'll hear from the both of them. But I just wanted to, uh, to kind of go over this whole situation with you, Eric, because... Um, the qualifications are are you know pretty pretty clear, but a little bit lawyerly, I would believe. Um, what did you think about you know, about how they're kind of going about this whole thing? Because I, I I mean I I think it's fair I, uh, overall, but we'll discuss maybe some possible shortcomings of a little bit later. But what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I think I think some of it like the seven years after graduation or ten years. Why don't we just make it ten? Because when I wrote when we wrote our. Uh, you know, each sport and a Hall of Famers for football, I kind of, in my mind, was thinking, okay, this is 10 years of, you know, because that was what it used to be. It's like 10 years, right. no matter what. And now they're kind of put in seven years and 10 years. And I think it should just be 10 and not kind of, it's too confusing, I think. I, I think to make it simpler, if you're at least 10 years from that, your last game played with your graduation, that should, that's plenty of time for everybody to have their degree. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I would make it consistent at 10. I'm not. It, it, what, here's an interesting part. They they reference to Olympics and things like that. Yeah, which that's interesting, right? There's two sides of the coin on this. On the yeah, one participated hand, in the Olympic Games as a student athlete at UCF is one of the qualifications. I think I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. Right. There's two. There's it, an interesting debate on that. Is should this Hall of Fame be based on what you did at UCF only, based on your performance at UCF, or on the other hand, the fact that by being successful after UCF uh, and maybe giving the exposure to the school, does that give you the the, the right to be in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. with the, you know in the Olympics? And I think that's going to be an interesting debate because I think there are going to be certain candidates. For example, Brandon Marshall, which we'll discuss, 
Some might argue that he is not a Hall of Famer based on he did not have a Hall of Fame playing career at UCF. He wasn't. Some would say he wasn't even the number one receiver during his time. It was Mike Sims Walker. But because of the success that Brandon's had in the NFL and the and 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 the attention he's got and the attention that he is, as a result has brought to UCF, does that warrant him getting into the Hall of Fame? A guy like Phil Dalhauser, for who you know didn't play a sport at UCF but right. was in the Olympics, does he all of a sudden perhaps get in? That could be controversial because he didn't play a sport here. Not to mention, I mean, there's some sports that have a big adva- advantage over others as far as getting playing in an Olympics, for example, like track and fields. It may be easier to get into the Olympics from UCF than, say, uh, basketball right. <laughs> or something to that extent. So uh, the, the should it be just based on your performance at UCF? Should it be a combination of things? I think is I think some of the debate that will go on there and uh, will be very fascinating to see how the voting kind of you know how how they decide to address all that right right so um at the end of this we'll actually give if we were voting our five nominees um to pretend pretending like you know we're a member of the (laughs) voting committee which we which we must say we are definitely not um but we'd be be certainly yeah we'd certainly be interested if they ever want to let us in the door but um but yeah, we uh, I've I've got my five, Eric. You got your five. It's and and we'll have some interesting discussions yeah, about that. We have not. Yeah, we haven't discussed it either. So right, right. So uh, all right. So let's dive in. I, I, two of these guys, the two guys that we talked to. I think when you talk about UCF, we talk about football, and you know, you talk about the old times of UCF football. Two of the names that pop up that have popped up for uh, for me in particular when we've been doing these stories are Darren Slack and Mark Giacone. And we're going to start with Mark Giacone because um, he, if you were around UCF in the late '80s to early '90s, um, he was a uh, he he was one of the more popular players in, of the pre Dante Culpepper era that you're ever going to see. Top ten in rushing and just a great interview. So I connected with him. Um, actually uh, on Facebook and and we were able to um, and, and we were able to schedule an interview and we actually got it done so uh, without further ado I, I, I think really think you guys have got to hear this because he's uh, just a really really cool dude and give you a lot of insight into sort of the 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 I don't want to say prehistoric days of UCL football but um, but it, well yeah but, but sort of the, maybe the Mesozoic era I guess we can call it so uh, here's my interview with uh, a guy who I think should be in the UCF uh, Athletics Hall of Fame, former UCF football running back Mark Giacone. All right, so as we move right along here with our uh, special UCF, pre-UCF Hall of Fame edition of the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, um, I got a little story to tell about our guest here. Um, so I am at, uh, so I'm at this pregame meeting um, for women's basketball, of all things. And I was talking with a guy who was a student at UCF in the in the early '90s, late '80s. And I told him, I was like, "Wow, you were there when, during the the heyday of the FCS days at that time, Division One AA, and the win over and and the win over uh, Youngstown State in the playoffs." And two seats down from me was Linda Gooch, the head coach of UCF cheerleading, has won national championships. And she overheard our conversation. She looks at me and she says, "That was amazing." Mark Giacone. Gosh, I still remember how good he was. Well, lo and behold, here he is on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, one of the most beloved UCF players, uh, running back for uh, UCF football from 1987 to 1990. 
he is still in the top 10 in rushing uh, at UCF with 2,128 yards, and that was with most of one of his seasons wiped out due to a knee injury. Um, and uh, if you look at the UCF uh, record books, his name still dots it in all the uh, rushing annals. Mark Giacone joining me right here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. How's the weather up in uh, up in the Jersey Shore, Mark? Oh, hi, Jeff. Oh, it's it's terrible. Now. Thank <laughs> you for asking. And thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's such a pleasure and a thrill. Well, I, I'm so happy that um, you – well, I, I got to give some credit to a few people here. Michael O'Shaughnessy also um, – we've been doing our um, UCF future UCF Hall of Famers um, series on Black and Gold Banneret, and Michael O'Shaughnessy uh, popped up in a group and he's like yeah you know who's another guy who isn't in who should be in Mark Giacone and then he listed <laughs> off your your resume bullet point after bullet point I mean oh, Mike is like the team historian but um, two-time team MVP played out played with a bunch of guys who are already in the Hall of Fame. UCF was twenty-seven and six when you were in the starting lineup, and you were the first UCF player to rush for a thousand yards back in um, nineteen ninety. That great run that you guys had, uh, ten and four, beating Youngstown State in the FCS playoffs. Like I said, one double A at the time. I, I'm going to keep on saying FC. All those years, it took me to swear off saying one double A when they changed it. And now, and now, and now, yeah, and now I'm used to it. Right. <laughs> you know, I still say one double A. So don't feel bad. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so let me ask you first. Um, Go ahead. You are a Jersey boy. Um, like myself from Westfield outside of uh, Elizabeth, which is the next town over from Newark. How does a, uh, how does a kid from, from Westfield, New Jersey, in 1987, end up at the University of Central Florida? Well, you know, it's actually, um, it's a great story. That started out so great. I um, I was recruited, um, I had a, a good senior year, but I had a poor team. Um, but I had some scholarship offers. And um, the one school that offered me a free scholarship was Holy Cross. Um, I also had some other schools, uh, Delaware and Villanova that were looking at me, but my, I was set on Holy Cross and, um, and what happened is right before signing day, and this is a tragic story. So I don't want to, I pick up the paper and it says the head coach had committed suicide for Holy Cross, mm. which was horrible. So what happened is my name got lost. It was a tragic. It was terrible. My name got lost in the shuffle and I had nowhere to go. I went back to university of Delaware and I went back to Villanova. Delaware had offered me, a half scholarship. Well, before signing, UCF, uh, my brother Mike, uh, who played at Townsend State, um, played football at State, had heard of UCF and sent my highlight tape to UCF. So what happened is UCF called me in May. They go, um, Coach, uh, it was Randy Romero called me. He was an assistant coach at the time. He goes, uh, oh, we really like your tape. Why don't you come see the school? I said, oh, I love it. But we have no money. I said, well, thank you very much. But, you know, if I'm going to come to Florida, um, they go, okay, well, something different happens. We'll let you know. Well, I actually go register classes at Delaware in July. UCF calls me mid-July. They said uh, one of the players had declined a scholarship, um, and we want you to come see the school. So so here we go. My dad and I, um, we fly down to UCF in July of 86, and um, we stayed at Coach McDowell's house. So, you know, Coach McDowell, you know, some of the other coaches, I'll never forget, I go into the, um, 
I go into the coach's room um, where they have their meetings, and my name was first on the depth chart. You know, <laughs> like, you know how that goes. <laughs> right. So I, so we, we Coach McDowell, um, after two days, he asked my father and I um, to sit down, and um, you know, and we were going to discuss scholarship options. So I just tell you a quick story. So Coach McDowell, who I love dearly, um, but he was tough. He um, addresses my father, and. Um, he goes, Mr. G, you know, Mr. G, he's got that strong Southern joy. He goes, you know, we really like your son. So we're going to offer him, you know, I'm paraphrasing, you know, half scholarship, you know, books. It was like a half ride. Now, my father, um, who's a smart man, but, you know, wasn't educated, came from old fashions. Father made him quit school when they were young. So he didn't have a lot of formal education, but he knew how to negotiate. <laughs> so he, he looks at Coach McDowell, and he was kind of shocked at the time because we were expecting a full ride. So he looks at me, you know, and he goes, he look, well, no, actually, he goes to Coach McDowell. He goes, Coach, he goes, thank you so much for your hospitality. He looks at me, he goes, Mark, get up. So we, we start to walk to the door. Coach McDowell goes to me, he goes, he goes to my father. He goes, Mr. Giacome, he goes, take a seat. He looks over his, his assistant, Randy Romero. He goes, Randy, he goes, right, Giacone up for a full ride. And that's how I ended up at UCF. <laughs> so, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that so that's where it all started. And it, it was just um, it was a wonderful experience. And and I'll, I'll let you talk because I can tell you story nah, after no. story. <laughs> well, that's why we're here. Now you were you came to UCF at a time when uh, the, the football program was really. St- Starting to take off in term at the level that it was because when I look back at your uh, freshman year '87, mm-hmm. all right, you got this was Darren Slack's senior year, and yes. uh, there was a stretch of five games where you guys are scoring a, a gazillion points a game. It seems like you dropped 67 on Grand Valley State, which was a record that stood for I think up until 20. 17, if I'm not mistaken, when UCF put up 673 against Austin P under yep. Scott Frost. But um, in 87, you get there and you're playing against this kind of competition. What was it like? Take, take us back to like 1987 and tell us what it was like playing running back at UCF at that time and being a part of the program at that time. Because, you know, as Darren told, told me in an interview we, we did with him, uh, I said, you know, conditions were sparse back then. He's like, sparse wasn't the word. <laughs> oh, sp- oh, sp- oh, sparse wasn't the word. Well, number one, we had three-day practices. We'd wake up at, you know, 6.30 in the morning, um, have our first practice, you know, uh, have breakfast after that, you know, in the afternoon, have our second practice. And, uh, and after the practices, we would have old Gatorade in a, a container of in like a, a garbage pail with ice and the Gatorade you can see the crust on the bottom you have to shake it, <laughs> it was, I, I, and I I am not kidding it was it was it must have, it probably was a year expired but we were so thirsty we didn't care so that that's how the conditions were back then and um, so you know we did not have um, number one we weren't limited to the time we were on the field which I wouldn't change anything about it. Um, but it was, um, you know, the facilities weren't great, but for us, you know, we loved it. We were out there. We were, you know, that's, it's, there's something to be said for being young and stupid. 
<laughs> you know, it, you know, ignorance is bliss, and we were, and we loved it. We were, we we bonded over the you know tough practices. But you know, me, um, um, as far as me playing running back, it wasn't. You know, I came in in '87, which was my redshirt freshman year, and Darren, who um, we were talking about, mm-hmm. was, was just a, a, the leader of the team by far, and he was um, a terrific, um, ter- I mean, phenomenal player, um, and an even better person. But um, on, you know, the first two games. Now, when I came, all I did the previous year was work out, gain 15 pounds, and and I come in and. Um, as I was saying earlier, I came in my freshman year. Um, a quick story: um, Mike Kruzik was the offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and I was getting timed on the forty. And uh, one of the assistants were timing me. I ran a four-four-four and a four-four-six, and Coach Kruzik didn't believe it. So he comes over, he times me, and I ran a four-four-two for him. So <laughs> I, I was, you know, I was very fast, and um, so. But they wanted to move me to fullback. And the reason they wanted to move me to fullback um, is, beca- is because, you know, they thought I was big. But I said, well, listen, I said, and I was a cocky New Jersey kid. I said, I am a tailback. I'm the fastest guy in the team. I'm sorry. I was the second fastest guy in the team. Bernard Ford was faster than me. And I said, I want to play tailback. They said, okay, you know, um, okay, then you're going to be third string. I said, well, I don't care. I'm playing tailback. I, I am not a fullback. So the first two games go by. And, you know, I'm sitting on the sidelines. Now, you know, when they tell, when they talk about players being selfish, it's not so much being selfish. Certain positions you have to be selfish. It's knowing and knowing that you're, you think that you're the best and you're going to, you're going to do the best for that team. And I never thought I was, I never said, oh, that guy's better than me. I thought I was the best. I was cocky and that's what drove me. So the first two games, the second game, um, I think we were one and one or whatever. And uh, what happens, I'm sitting on the sidelines and one of the grad assistant coach, I won't mention his name. He goes to me, he goes, gee, this is during a game, goes, gee, I can't hold the ball. Like I'm a ball boy. So he throws the ball at me and I, and I wing the ball back in his chest. And I said, you hold the F word ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he tells coach Nudell and I get suspended for the next game. So I can't travel. So I come back the game after well the first in that third game the first string tailback had gotten injured so for that next game what happened that was west georgia the game after my suspension Mm -hmm. the second string tailback gets hurt which was gil barnes so i come in and this is where darren slack comes in now here i am sitting in a huddle i have um Darren Slack is a senior. Um, I'll never forget Craig Rodriguez. He was one of the linemen. It was six seven, and all these monsters in the huddle. I'm like, and here I am, just turned 18 years old, and um, they call the play. Darren looks at me. It was a 43 ISO or a 42 ISO, and Darren looks at me. He goes, Giacomo, don't drop the ball." So the first time he hands it off to me, I ran 35 yards on my first carry from scrimmage and that game I broke the school record at 177 yards and this and that and it, and l- luckily I I started the remaining games of the season we made it to the division two playoffs and we were on fire I mean after that game I mean Darren um, I think it was Grand Valley State was the next game Darren set did this ridiculous 400 and 500 yards I had three touchdowns and we were lighting it up 
and we made it to the uh, Division II playoffs, and we ended up losing to the eventual national championship, which was Troy State. But we were just, you know, we were getting all this attention, and all of a sudden the stands went from 8,000 to 20,000. It was just, it was incredible. Yeah. You could tell it was it was after that year, starting in 1988, when things started to, something flipped, like a, a switch got flipped in the community around the team. And, you know, you mentioned some of those guys that you played with. Like, you played with a bunch of guys who aren't just in the UCF Hall of Fame, but, you know, played in the NFL. You know, Sean Jefferson was on that team. Oh, oh sure. Um, yeah. Bob Spitolsky, who played for the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, uh, a monster. Yeah, Rick Hamilton, <laughs> who who had a long career in the Arena Football League. Um, yep. Franco Grillo, who I'm sure we'll talk about in just a second. Sean Becton was a teammate of yours. Um, you know, you played alongside Willie English. Um, it, it was just people forget like this team, the teams that you played on, they were loaded with talent. It, it was, it was almost oh, we as though loaded. the talent that you guys had was like, was, you know, one a level and you were playing at one double way. Oh, let me tell you something. We, we were, if you go I, forget on defense, you know, you, you mentioned spit, you mentioned Hamilton. We had Ray Irvin. It's uh, at a uh, cornerback. Um, I mean, we had, um, the year before, we had this kid, Kirk Wiley, that if he would have played his senior year, we would have been – I mean, we had so much talent. Uh, we had Eric Buckley. Um, um, I mean, it was just – like I said, we had 1A talent, and, and we were big kids. Everybody was big kids, fast, mm-hmm. um, and um, it, it was something. It really was. We, we were a very talented team. We were not, by any stretch of the imagination, underachievers – I mean, overachievers. We were there. We were competing at that level because we were that good, and um, and we were so. When 1990 came around, we were so bonded as a team because we played together for so many years, and we, you know, we played in those awful facilities, and you know, we were, we were such a unit. It was it was so exciting. But you know, not to skip over years because every year had its you know had its nuance, Mm -hmm. you know. 87 was was phenomenal um and we go into 88 and we play troy state who had uh, who had beat us pretty bad yeah in the um in the division two playoffs and um we beat them we had 30,000 at that uh, it was the biggest crowd ever 30,000 at that game that was the noise penalty game right Yes, noise penalty. Yep. I had to go out and touchdown. Just let me mention that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it it was a thrill. And then, um, uh, like, listen, I don't want to go off on tangents. I'll let you ask a question. No, 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 no. You can go nah, off on as many you, tangents as you want. No, <laughs> no. Nah, nah, but yeah, we we started that season out five and uh, five and zero. Oh. Yeah, five and oh, we six were, and one at uh, after a win against Southern Connecticut State. And then, uh, now, I should correct myself, because I mentioned you guys were at FCS. At that time, you were still in D2. We were, we were still in D2. Yeah, yep. and, and, then, and, we and then you hurt your knee. I hurt my knee in the fifth game of the season and against West Georgia. And it was at the very end of the game. I had blown up my knee. And um, in that same game, Mike Grissom, had, who was our starting nose tackle, had blown out his knee. And... Um, after that game, we lost the, the the next five out of six. Yeah, and which was, you know, uh, listen, I'm not going to say it was, um, you know, uh, it it hurts when you lose two starting players, um, but it was, um, 
But I will say this. Miguel did say in an article, he goes, I guess we missed Chia Corn and Grissom more than we thought. <laughs> I well, have that article. <laughs> <laughs> the proof's in the pudding, man, because um, you know, one of our guys on the uh, on the team, uh, one of our guys who actually writes for our site every now and then um, was a, receiver, uh, a backup receiver named Chris Carter. Uh, oh, from from, well. from Canada, yeah, and and yes. he and he talked about uh, it, he wrote a little bit about that season and how you know frustrating it was you know after coming off of eighty seven and then eighty eight you know that, when everything kind of unraveled. But you come back in eighty nine. This is the last year of of UCF in Division two. Yeah, our T- transition. Yeah, yep. tell it. Tell us about the the long path that you had to come back from that ACL injury because, you know, I mean, knee repairing knees back then is not the way it's done now. <laughs> it was no. a pretty, uh, it's a, it's a, it was a pretty barbaric process back in the day. It was, um, they, uh, it was, they used a patella graft, they used to call it, they called it back then. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, we didn't have much for rehab. We didn't have anybody observing us. And um, I'll tell you a quick funny story. Now, going into um, going into fall practice after I blew up my knee, I still had about an inch, inch and a half atrophy between my right knee, which I had blown out, had ACL reconstruction in my left. And um, so we go into the practice. And, you know, each year everybody thinks, not everybody, but a lot of people think that scholarships are four-year scholarships. They're not. They are right. one-year scholarships. So yeah, every four year, one-year scholarships, right? Yes, exactly. So every year we go in to the head coach's office and we sign a scholarship. So Coach Medell, who I would have gone through a concrete wall and I love him dearly, but he was tough. And I go into his office and he looks at me. He goes, he goes, what are you doing here? I go, um, now this is after all the other kids signed a scholarship. He goes, I go, well, I'm here to sign my scholarship. Coach Mack looks at me and goes, what scholarship? <laughs> I was like, oh, my football scholarship? He goes, let's see how you do in three days, and we'll talk about your football scholarship. Oh, man. So let me tell you something. That Those three-day practices, I woke up about 5 a.m. I used to take – I never forget. I used to take 1,000 milligrams of aspirin just to get my knee moving. I'd warm up, and I went out there, and I had the best three days I've ever had. You know, because there was no way I was going back to New Jersey ashamed, you know. And this is after having two two great years. So I finished three days, and I'm walking in the hallway of the football coach's office. And Coach Medell grabs me. Now, I'm a cocky kid from New Jersey, but there's one person I never, ever disrespect in Coach Medell. If he grabs me, he grabs me, pulls me to his office. And I thought I did something wrong. And so he puts me... To, puts me down in a chair he goes behind it. i'm not saying a word and all of a sudden he goes to his desk he pulls out a piece of paper he puts it in front of me and he puts a pen in my hand and he goes great job and that was my scholarship gosh man i mean that must have been you know to, to be able to prove that you know to a guy like gene mcdowell really to anybody i mean that must have been unbelievably oh. satisfying <laughs> and, 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 and and let me tell you people say oh he's gonna take his scholarship." i said no 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 do you know what he did for me? He made me do, he made me work beyond I would have never done, you know. And yeah. he gave me obstacles, and you know what? He rewarded me for it, and I loved him for it. 
and I did. And, um, you know, I didn't start the first couple games, but um, after the third game, I think it was East Tennessee State, and I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. um, it was, um, I, I believe it was the, uh, it was going, it's funny, it was going around the left end, and somebody had the angle on me. And all of a sudden, I turned on my Jets, and I scored. It was like a 45-yard touchdown. And in third game on, I started the rest of the season and led the team in rushing. And I got and I got the team MVP that year. And it was um, – and if anybody asked me, oh, did you deserve – listen, I never I, – listen, I, ne I would always come out of the game if somebody wanted to come in. I was never – I was very humble, you know. But um, – and. But these guys knew when I went on the field, I mean, I will never say there were great running backs at UCF. I never say I was the greatest, but I can say one thing. Nobody, nobody could have run as hard because every play I gave up my all, you yeah. know, and I never liked green. I would much rather run somebody over than run an open field. That's why they used to call me Magnet Man because I would always <laughs> look for somebody to run over. And it, But it was great. We ended up – we I think we only played 10 games that season. I think we ended up 7-3. Yeah, seven and three, seven and three seven. the last year in yeah. in uh, we, in D two and one uh, six of the last seven down the stretch too. So yeah, uh, we 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 were on fire, um, and it was um, it was a thrill. And uh, you know, coming back from the knee surgery, you know, it was satisfying. Then and comes the, then comes nineteen ninety, and that's your senior year, and uh, that was the first year in. Yeah, again, then one double A, and something clicked with this team after the first six, after the first seven games. You guys were four and three after a loss to Georgia Southern. That mm -hmm. was on that was on October the twentieth. It was a thirty-eight seventeen loss. Had a couple of had a couple of big wins in there. Beat Bethune Cookman. Beat Troy in the opener. Um, beat Kentucky State forty-nine nothing. Won at Samford, and then you guys. And the starting with the last game of the month of October, Southern Illinois, through Absolutely. to yep through to uh, through to uh, November seventeenth, the final regular season game against Texas Southern. You guys win four in a row, finish up with a sixty three to six victory to end the regular season. You go to the one double A playoffs in your first year in one double A, and who were you rewarded with in that first game? A trip to yep, a trip to Youngstown, Ohio, to face Jim Tressel and the Youngstown State Penguins. Tell us about that game. Well, number one, it was uh, you know maybe thirty degrees, sleet, rain, um, artificial turf, and um, you know football weather. <laughs> it, 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 it was football weather, and um, we went out there. Um, we weren't. You know, being the underdog, and we weren't—you know—the first 16 teams get into the playoffs. Well, I don't know if you know this. We were not 16. Mm -hmm. We were 18. We got in because there were two schools um, that had their—I um, believe—they—they um, they had their annual game they played. Uh, I think it was Jackson or something. So we got in because those schools weren't eligible. Right. So we went in there. And um, from the get-go, um, we just, you know, uh, put them on sleds. And um, I had my best game ever. It was 191 yards. 
And, you know, people say, well, you know, you just wouldn't go down. I said, well, I didn't want to go down because the field was frozen. So that's the only reason <laughs> I refused to go down. And it was, um, it, you know, then Franco Grilla uh, kicked a game-winning um, field goal. And it, it, it was something. It was um, it was a big thrill. And um, my parents will still tell the story how they, um, Jim Trussell, um, heard Gia Cohn in the hotel, heard my parents were Gia Cohn. And he uh, he goes up to my um, parents. My father would tell the story. He says, you know, your son is one hell of a football player. And my dad has told that story probably a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, um, but we were on fire. I mean, it, it was just a, you know, very competitive game. And you tell the truth, we were, I mean, I had 100 yards in the first quarter. And we actually stopped running for some reason the second half. But mm -hmm. we were running all, we were running all over. But, um. And then we went to, you know, well, I'll, I'll let you take them from there. The next week uh, was William and Mary. Yep, and that was at home, too. First ever home home playoff game in FCS, I think, if, if that's right. Uh, yes. Yep. Yep. And um, we beat them 52, if I'm correct, is it 52 to 38? 52-38, yep. Yep, and um, I think I had 110 yards or somewhere around there. I know I broke 100. And we all, we all you know, it was a shootout. You know, they score, we score. They score, we score. We just happen to score the last two touchdowns, and um, and then um, we advance to the semifinals, which was our nemesis, um, Georgia Southern. Yeah, and uh, you know we don't have to talk about it. we we can talk about that. <laughs> we'll pass that over, right? <laughs> well, I, I, actually, you know I tell you right now, it was. Um, it was a heart-wrenching game for all of us because, well, for me especially, see, Georgia Southern, and um, we were able to run, I even in the regular season, I had 126 yards on Georgia Southern, and we went into that game, and um, it was 9-7, to seven, and we were doing well, and then coming out of the half, coming out of the half, we went into spread the rest of the game, and I did not see the field until the end of the fourth quarter because spread was all receivers and mm -hmm. we ended up losing like 44 to seven and oh, it was terrible so um you know it was you know it wasn't meant to be but they were a great team and um you know but i hate i hate i hated that spread formation and i but i will give <laughs> i will give Cruz the credit because you know that's what they do nowadays yeah you know he was they, well ahead of his time people forget oh, that Oh, let me tell you something. Mike Kruzik was one of the most intelligent football coaches that you'll ever come upon. I mean, he knew his stuff. I mean, he played in the NFL for a long time, but that doesn't mean anything. I mean, he knew his X's and O's. He was in that room, I mean, probably 21 hours a day watching film. And, um, yeah, that spread formation was all him. Although I think the timing of it wasn't great, but still. Um but it, it was it was a magical year. It was uh, it was a great it was a magical year. It was a great career. I I was very fortunate, um, and um, also to stay. Even though I blew up my uh, blew out my knee, my you know sophomore year, I came back. I had my two best seasons after I blew up my knee. So mm -hmm. It was great. It was really something. That Georgia Southern team went on to win the national championship. They actually beat uh, the University of Nevada Reno the week after they. Um, beat you guys 36 to 13 to win the championship. That was uh, uh, their head coach at that time was Tim Stowers, who I think, if I'm not mistaken, he took over for uh, Irk Russell, who was Irk a, Russell, yeah, yeah, who, who was a longtime assistant under Vince Dooley at Georgia. 
And you know, people forget like Youngstown State and Georgia Southern. You know, those are those are two schools. It was basically like uh, you know, if you could think of like Alabama and Georgia now in in FBS. That's what they were back then in 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 FCS and um, and in D two at the time too. So I mean, those are some good teams that you guys played. So let me let me ask you this: So you go, so your your football career ends in nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. Um, what where do, where does Mark Giacone go after that? What happens? Did you, I, I know that that you you told me earlier that you you thought about playing professionally, but then. Um, decided to go into um, decided to go into your career. So, fill everybody in on what happened after your football career was over. Well, you know, after after my career ended at UCF, um, I'll be honest with you. There was nothing more that I ever wanted to do with my life than to play football. I just loved it. Um, I tried. I you know, when teams would come by, I'd work out for teams, um, run forties, you know, do whatever, do bench press, whatever. And um, now. I had an agent who I never met, but I talked on the phone. I don't know if you remember um, Seattle Seahawks. Um, he was a free, he was a safety. Um, Kenny Easley. Yeah. Time. But yeah he Ken, was I think tonight. he was a. I think he's in the Hall of Fame now, isn't he? Kenny Easley. Yeah. I think, yeah yep. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. I'm pr- yeah. Pretty sure he is. And he was my agent, and he he was very fairly confident that I would get picked up in the later rounds. Um, but what happened is, since I did have ACL reconstruction. And back then, people thought, you know, even though I played on it, they thought, how long is my career going to go, you know, with that? A lot of teams stayed away from me. And I ended up, um, you know, there was the World League back then, but it wasn't paying anything. Mm -hmm. So there was this professional spring football league that was coming out. And I actually got drafted by this team called the Miami Tribe. And I went out there and and practiced for two weeks and the team folded. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after that, I just I gave up and started my career, and uh, moved back to Jersey, and um, that was it. You know, it, it, not easy to move on. I don't care what level you are football, but it, it, listen, I was lucky to have the career I did. You know, and um, that, to make the friendships that I did, I had. Mm-hmm. We we had, you know, we knew we knew that we were the pioneers of that program. We helped build that program. Yeah. We suffered. I mean, let me tell you something. The kids nowadays, they couldn't go out there and do five days of three days and then another three days of two days. You know, there's no way. And the grueling schedule, I mean, we sacrificed. And, you know, I had back surgeries since then. And people, you know, and I've had, you know, some head injuries. But you know what? People say, well, would, would you, uh, if you, if you knew then, would you, if you knew then what you know now, would you change it? And I'm afraid to say I would not change a thing. I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, we never came out of the game. There was no such thing as a concussion. You know, we used to call it getting our belt wrong. Yeah. You know, and uh, we had a routine. If you did get hit we and you felt like you were going to throw up, well, we would all get in a huddle. You would throw up in the huddle. <laughs> and then and then we would move the huddle so we'd get away from it. But this way the referees couldn't see us throwing up. And we, and a lot of us, especially I me, mean, I always carried smelling salts on my socks, so I, I wouldn't have to come out of the game. Man, so yeah, you know, you're, you're you're making anyone who's a doctor who's listening to this right now is probably freaking out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It wasn't the smartest thing, but I, like I said, you be there's something to be said of being young and stupid, you know. But, well, you know. I'm sorry, Ged. No, no, I was, I'm sorry. I was going to say that uh, you know, at, at, at you know now. Uh, when you look at how far UCF has come 
you know, as a program, uh, and you think back on your time, how what is your reaction to it when you when you see UCF on television beating Auburn on New Year's Day? Um, yeah, and yeah, last year, and you know, playing against LSU in the Fiesta Bowl, winning conference championships. Like, what's what are your thought? What goes through your head when you see how far your alma mater's come? Well, number one, I'm so proud of where we come, but at the same time, it doesn't surprise me. To be honest, I w- I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to where we are sooner because I thought. This program, this place, we had talent. Like I said, when we were one double A, we had one A play. We had a, a bunch of one A players. Uh, we had, you know, a bunch of NFL guys. And um, I mean, when I watch them, I talk about UCF. There's nothing about pride, but it doesn't surprise me, mm-hmm. you know, because there was such a pool of talent in Florida, and um, you know, a little bit in New Jersey too. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it, not, so much pride for you know where we come and. You know, I I talked to um, one of my linemen I haven't talked to in probably 28 years, just because we lost touch. Um, a friend of mine, Tom Lipley, and it's like we we talked. We, it's like we talked yesterday. We haven't talked in 28 years, and we talk about the times and the sacrifice, and we're so proud to see where it's come. But you know, without you know us going through what we had, I'd, you know, we're proud to see where they are. Right, and um, you know it's 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 quite a thrill for us. So what is so what are you up to now? As I know you live up you, you live you still live in the uh, in the Garden State up in New Jersey. You're I, uh, you're up in uh, you're up in Long Beach Island now. Is that right? Yeah, right now I'm I'm, I'm in a little bit of a semi retirement stage. I had to take some time off. I've been in the telecommunications industry for 25 years, wow. and um, you know it's funny the uh, the VP of sales. I worked for Time Warner, which is now Spectrum. He, I'm walking down the hall one day and he sees me and I'm crooked. You know, my back would go out every other week. And he says, Mark, I love you. He goes, but go home and get your back operated on, you know, get taken care of. And that's what I did. I had to do it. I, I went through a um, four hour operation, then 11 hours, and then it didn't heal right. Then I had to get it whole redone. So I had to take time to get me repaired. So, you know, I'm still in a healing phase and, you know, I'm going to start up again very soon, but it took some time, you know, back surgery is not a perfect science. Um, but I am doing wonderful now though. That's good. So, yeah, so it's, uh, it's great. My family, we're all still in New Jersey, you know, we're, we're, we're very close. So it's good. Uh, and I, just, I know you're over, I, I know that the, the weather up there must be terrible up in the Jersey Shore, at least that's oh, right. God. But it, it, but the good thing is, is it's not as crowded right now. <laughs> no, no, you know, I don't know. If, you know, Long Beach Island right now it's yeah. empty. You know, right now I, I needed a place where I can go relax, no noise. It's just me, my dogs. Um, you know, and uh, you could roll. You could probably roll a bowling ball from the causeway down to Barnegat Light, and it wouldn't uh, hit anything on Long Beach Island Boulevard. <laughs> oh, it's great! And my son, my son comes out here. I have a fourteen-year-old son, which is just the love of my life. He's 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 the best. Um, you know, he's everything. You know, um, everything I wasn't in the classroom, and um, he's a, he's a world-class gamer. He's just he's just incredible. He's, he's you know he's such a kind. You know, it's funny when you raise a child. You know, in today's world, you know, for me, what's the biggest concern for me is I want to raise a good human being. 
and my son is is wonderful. Is uh, I'm very lucky, and um, and he and I see him, you know, uh, at least half the time. So it's um it's great, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's nice to um, it, you know, um, I feel blessed. People say you know you went through backs, you went through this. I said I am the most blessed person in the world. I am lucky, you know, and um, just gotta enjoy life. You know, the little things, you know, just like, you know, in this weather, I'm just, I thank God I got heat. You know, you know people, people don't have heat and people out there are starving. And, you know, yeah. only problem is I just, I just can't take in any more dogs. You know, I got too many dogs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got three dogs and a cat. And I, you know, if I see a stray dog or a cat, I got to go after it. <laughs> so, you know, I try to stay indoors as much as possible because I will get that, that dog or cat into my house. <laughs> Well, I, I know that. Uh, well, I'm I'm glad to know that you know you're feeling a lot better that the operation went well. I know you told me you were what 24 hours on the operation table. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. Louise, man, I don't yeah. know how you. I don't know. I don't know how. That's that's one. That's one way to lose a day. I'll tell you that. Oh, I'll tell you. You know, it Jeez. was. Um, it it was it was something. You know, the, the best thing about when you're getting surgeries, you you don't realize it when you from the time you go out to the time you wake up, it's instantaneous. So you don't know you've been in surgery forever. <laughs> But um, no, I'm doing well. You know, what's wonderful about it is um, I'm doing well. You know, uh, I still have discomfort, but I'm, you know, um, when you can, you know, walk around and you're relatively pain free and thank God, you know, painkiller free, which, you know, people say, what's the hardest part of any operation? I said, it's getting off painkillers. And I thank God for that. So, you know, I, I am doing great. I'm very thankful. And, you know, uh, and I'll get my career restarted, you know, very, very shortly. That's the easy part of life. The hard part is raising kids and, um, you know, keeping your health up. I hear you. Well, hopefully we can get you back down here for a football game at some point. When was the last time you were down here for a game? Oh, God, it's got to be early 2000. Oh, wow. So you haven't even been to Spectrum Stadium. You work for Spectrum, and you haven't been to Spectrum Stadium yet. No, no, I have not. So I have not. So, yes, I am looking forward I am looking forward to that. You know, I have a very good friend that lives up here. His name is Ron Thau. He's really big into uh, UCF. Yeah. Um, and Ron tells me, he, he tries to get me in. But, you know, when you when you get, you know, my son's 14. So as soon as he was born, that was it. It's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to travel when you have kids. I don't know. You have kids, Jim? Yeah, I got two. I got a, I got a four year old and I got a 16 month old too. So, Oh wow. That's great. great yeah. I, got, I, I still, I still got a ways to go here. Oh, <laughs> I'm awesome. just trying to get through one day at a time. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, you know, you're, you're a lucky man. That's great. Good stuff, so. man. Well, I tell you, I had such a, uh, so great talking to you. I, I and, and one last thing I wanted to uh, let you know before I left it, and I think I told you this before was, uh, uh, well, well, yeah, it was the uh, it was the story with um, uh, Alan Gooch who I saw at the uh, Orlando Apollos opener, um, and uh, he and I were talking. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I connected with mark giacone and he looks at me he's like you found mark giacone yes i found mark (laughs) yes i found mark giacone and i'm so glad that i did because uh it really is a pleasure talking to you Uh, listen pleasure talking to you stay in touch and uh and uh and keep us posted on how you're doing and uh i'm hoping hoping that the next time that that you know maybe next year 
uh, we can get you down here to a game and uh, and uh, and you can see what it's like here, man, because it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It certainly it certainly beats uh, beats the winter time in lo- in uh, empty Long Beach Island, if you know what I yes, mean. Right? Yes, definitely. definitely. <laughs> well, Jeff, thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. You got it, right, uh, Mark Giacone, And thank you so much for joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, stick around. I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Thank you. Really, really cool interview with Mark Giacone. I really do hope that he does um, that he does get in. I know that if I was on the committee, uh, he'd get my vote because he was well, right in well, the let me middle ask of you. that. Yeah. Let me ask you. Why do you think he's not in? I don't know. I just think I, I, is I just it, is, it, is it one of those things because the Hall of Fame has been inconsistent because sometimes yeah I just think he's gotten career. lost in the shuffle. I mean, he played alongside a bunch of guys like I mean, he was in the same backfield as Willie English, and Willie English is in the Hall of Fame. Um, I mean, you could say the same about, you know, uh, uh, Darren Hinshaw. Why isn't he in there considering, you know, the career that he had? And uh, and actually, you could say the same thing about um, the guy who we're going to interview on the other side of this break. When we get back, we're going to talk with former UCF quarterback and current quarterback, one of the best quarterback gurus in the country, um, uh, a guy who has done amazing things after his career. At UCF, Darren Slack joins us on the Black and Gold Banner Podcast, our special UCF Athletics Hall of Fame edition. Stick around. We'll be right back. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with the Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. Eric Lopez here, and when you're not listening to me on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast yelling at Jeff Sharon or talking baseball with Brian Murphy, you can actually listen to me on another podcast with a fellow UCF alum, a lot smarter, Victor Anderson and I. We host In the Circle on Fast Pitch News twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. We cover all the world of softball. So if you're UCFA, we talk UCF, we talk how Coach Gillespie's going to do at Iowa. We talk all the topics in college softball, pro softball, and international softball. So give us a follow on In the Circle SB on Twitter and on Facebook. It's In the Circle on Fast Pitch News twice a week on the podcast. Check us out there. Back now to the Black and Gold Bannerettes. Welcome back to our Hall of Fame edition, Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez here. Um, the... the I, I, I'm really interested to see uh, as we as we're continuing our conversation here um, on future UCF Hall of Famers. You know, we just talked with Mark Giacone 
um, who, of course, for my money, should be in. We're going to talk to a guy who actually was a teammate of his. And uh, was uh, and since, first of all, his time at UCF was amazing. His time after UCF has been even um, more amazing as well. All right, Eric Lopez, when you talk about great quarterbacks at UCF, who comes to mind? Well, I think everybody's going to talk about McKenzie Milton most recently, Blake mm-hmm. Bortles before that, Dante Culpepper, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we, I mean that's, we've had some pretty good ones even prior to that. Who was the first great quarterback at UCF, to your knowledge? Baron Slack, right? Yeah. That would be the one that jumps out. He would be the guy to me. And, again, in the era of Gene McDowell, who we'll talk about soon, uh, Darren Slack was the guy who basically walked on the moon for UCF and the spread offense that they ran under a very young offensive coordinator, Mike Kruzek, at the time under Gene McDowell. I uh, reached out to Darren after I wrote up – or Darren reached out to me, rather, I should say, after I wrote uh, up a piece on him about the UCF Hall of Fame and how he should be in. And uh, he graciously invited me over to talk to him. So, And the stuff that he's done in his career after UCF has been phenomenal, not just – um, starting two uh, high school football programs here in Central Florida, including one over at Masters Academy. Um, he has become one of the great quarterback uh, tutors, quarterback gurus for young high school quarterbacks looking to get into college um, in the country. He's traveled the nation and actually traveled internationally. Um, as I said, preaching the gospel of good quarterbacking. Um, to uh, to high schoolers everywhere. So here is my interview with Darren Slack, former UCF quarterback here on the Black and Gold Bannerhead podcast. All right, well, if you're a UCF fan, and I mean going back as a UCF fan, uh, back to the D2 days and the, the early days of head coach Dean McDowell, uh, before there was Mackenzie Milton, before there was Dante Culpepper and Ryan Schneider, before there was Blake Bortles, before there was Darren Henshaw, there was Darren Slack. And uh, he left UCF uh, after basically playing for his entire four years when UCF was in D2. By the time he graduated in 1987, he was, well, by far and away, UCF's all-time leading passer. But his numbers withstood the test of time. Today, he's still ranked in the top 10 and in many places the top five in all of UCF's uh, passing categories. And uh, he joins us now here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, coach and quarterback, Darren Slack. How are you, Darren? Oh, thanks a lot, Jeff. It's great to be here with you. Appreciate the opportunity. So I, I, you reached out to me, and I got to thank you for this, because um, we're doing, Eric Lopez and I are doing a series on future UCF Hall of Famers, so guys that we think should be in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. Um, they're having a, the vote first vote in four years, actually, coming up. Um, this Friday, and I can't believe for the life of me that you're not in the UCF Hall of Fame. You should be, and I'm going on the record with that right now because uh, the trail you blazed at UCF speaks for itself. I want to go back to when you were a high school kid yourself. You're you're one of the great quarterback gurus in the country, and you tutor you've tutored over the years thousands of high school quarterbacks. Take me back to when you were a high school quarterback at Lake Howell, because you're a local kid. Um, and then you heard about, you know, you would have the opportunity to play at UCF. What brought you to UCF from Lake Howell? Well, at the time, I was being recruited by a number of Division One schools because I had had some fortunate uh, exposure to University of Pittsburgh, 
I was kind of anticipating that I'd be John Kinjemi's new backup, you know, because he was there at Pitt at the time. He was post Dan Marino, so it was kind of a history of great quarterbacks in Pennsylvania, and I saw myself going there, and their recruiter really worked me hard, and so I was all blue and gold Pitt, you know. And about that time we were going to sign, Foge Fazio, who was the head coach at that time, came to my house sat down in my room and had his big recruiting book. And it was a big moment. It was kind of like, ooh, the head coach is here. And he shared with me some things that just really shook me. He said, well, you know, we got a couple of guys in Westburn, Pennsylvania we're looking at, and we're not sure we're going to commit. And, you know, I mean, it really kind of backpedaled him. I thought he was there to kind of seal the deal, and it ended up becoming very discouraging for me. So when he left, I was kind of like, well, that was awkward. I thought it was just kind of a hey, we're all in, and it's ended up being kind of a, a runaround. So that night, Bill Cubitt, who was the defensive back coach at that time and one of the key recruiters, called. And then just a follow-up call, he's like, Darren, I know you're going to pit, but I figured I'd just give you a call. And I said, you know, I've got to be honest. I said, I just had a situation, the thing. He said, well, you got another visit left. Would you come? I'm like, yes, I will. So I felt like the jilted boyfriend, you know, I'm going to go ahead and take a time to go to this. So I went over to UCF, and I – I gotta be honest, I'd always grown up. See, we'd go fishing every week, my father and I. And we'd drive by, at the time, what was then Florida Tech, FTU, and then we saw it become UCF. And I think I even said to him one morning, 3.30 in the morning as we're driving to the coast of the Banana River, I'm gonna play there one day, you know? Just saying that, you know? And he's like, I believe you, we'll see. Well, having brought that back up that night to my dad, I was like, you know, well, maybe we just need to go look at what they got. And I had no expectation that it was going to be a good experience. Well, they really made me feel important and welcome. And, and it was just when I got done that weekend, I was like, Dad, what am I doing? I'm going to go sit for years at Pitt. Why don't I just go play at UCF? And then I could play early. Well, I had no idea how early I would play. I played in the first game of my college career. Dana Thyssen was the head co- was the, wider, the, the starting quarterback at that time. He was the punter. Mm-hmm. i never forget it. You know, we're playing Bethune-Cookman, massive rivalry, big details, going – I mean, never seen guys that big before. Biggest crowd of my history. And I'm content with the clipboard in my hand, you know, drawing up the plays and thinking, man, I'm not ready for this yet. <laughs> and Lou Saban turns to me after Dana goes down on a punt and goes, you ready? I'm like, ready for what? He's like, you're going in. Because I wasn't even the backup. I was kind of like the third team because I was still getting my feet under me. Right. He's like, you're in. I'm like, I'm in. It's a tie score against our crosstown rival in 25,000 fans that I'm in, you know. So here I go in, and I mean, literally the first time I got hit, I got a concussion. Oh, the man. first hit I ever took, I'm thinking, do they always hit this hard in college? I'll never survive, you know. But I played another six, seven downs. Robert Ector was in the huddle with me getting plays and then drawing them on his hand about what I was supposed to do because I was so out of sorts. I don't, I don't think the concussion protocol would have supported yeah. what happened that day. But we had a great experience. I played the next week, and, you know, I, again, the whole experience was whirlwind. And so my wish is to play early, have an experience, you know, happen right away. And so I was never disappointed in my decision to play at UCF. I thought it was the best call for me. Be careful what you wish for. Sometimes you get it. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And, uh, but we, you know, we had nothing. We dressed in the baseball locker room. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have a Wayne Dench facility yet. Uh, Wayne Dench was just coming online. The uh, program was in substantial trouble financially. I didn't understand that until we got there. So my father jumped in on the booster club to do what he could. And 
about my sophomore year, he, they really started to get serious because that's when Gene arrived. Yeah. And Gene changed everything. I mean, Lou left, Gene showed up, and he walks up to me. The first thing he says, I wish you believed you were as good as I believe you could be. So it was a very affirming and very positive thing he shared with me that day. And he really did that for the whole program. And so he's another guy that probably needs to be in the Hall of Fame because of the things he did for the program. But, you know, there's a lot of stories there, but I'm very grateful for the opportunity to play. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. You mentioned, you know, how, how the facilities were sparse back then compared to... Sparse wasn't even the word. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> there I, was I no Spartan, well, yeah, there was Yeah, there was nothing there. I mean, you guys are practicing out in the mud. Right. Uh, in whatever open field you could practice on. And, and, and you mentioned Gene McDowell coming in because in your freshman year, Lou Saban, who had coached at the Denver Broncos, um, it was uh, it was there. But then he left midway through the season. Jerry Anderson finished out. And then Gene comes in your sophomore year, and you'd mentioned that the program was in financial trouble, but then Gene found a way to turn it around. Describe for us, because a lot a, a lot of fans remember sort of the later years of Gene McDowell leading into when Mike Kruzek took over the program, but describe for us the work that he did with you guys and the players all around in getting UCF to the point where in the mid-90s, where it was compared to where you guys were as his first group at the time. Well, at the time, I think what he brought was a belief we could win. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we were operating from a Division II uh, very abused mentality. We, we just had no perception that we could win. And he came in with an expectation, having coached at FSU under Bobby Bowden, mm -hmm. that winning was an expectation. This wasn't about when or if, or not if we were going to win, when we're going to win and how bad we're going to win. I mean, he would come up to me, and this is kind of funny, but he'd be like, okay, I need you to understand I'm motivated about what you're going to do, so how many touchdowns are you going to throw tonight? I mean, he would literally ask me that question, and I'd be like, I didn't know that was a priority. And he's like, <laughs> I just need you to understand we're throwing the ball tonight, we're going to win, and I need you to be successful. So that was his way of challenging the psyche of each of his athletes to step to the next level. And at the time we didn't really have a cohesive understanding of what winning took. So he brought a whole philosophy and a coaching staff that came from FSU with Mike Kruzik and the rest. And Mike brought a, a pro playbook with him and a whole perspective on how to do offense that really got me excited because, you know, he was kind of a throw it around kind of a guy as well as a, an innovator. Mm -hmm. And very quickly we started to see some success. It took, it took some time to get the players on board you know, they usually say it takes about three years to get your, your feet under you as a coach. And by my third year, which would have been my senior year, he had what he wanted. And we were we were ready to roll. And most of it, to be honest, was defensive. We always had the athletes on offense, but we couldn't stop anybody. And now the nightmare defense, which is what it became to be known as, really put us in a position where we were as explosive offensively. You know, And most people don't understand what happened my senior year because we started out very conventional. Just, you know, just 21 personnel. We were going to, you know, two tight ends and one back or one back with maybe a little bit of, of play action, that kind of thing. Well, after the first game was over, Mike was very frustrated. And he walks in on a Tuesday afternoon. Literally, I'm not kidding. This is a great story. Most people don't know this. He goes, I'm done. And he took the playbook and he threw it across the room. <laughs> so Mike threw out the playbook. He's comes into the office and he goes, listen, Darren, I'm... I'm tired of running the ball because we can't run the ball. Our offensive line is not what I want it to be. We had three freshmen on the offensive line my senior year. Mm -hmm. And he says, we've got to figure out another way. So he takes up a uh, 
black marker on the whiteboard and he just starts drawing this offense and it, it was five wide empty. Mm-hmm. So he says, this is you. You're going to have a four and a half yard head start and it's an NCAA rule you can't get hurt. <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm writing a new rule. You're not allowed to get hurt. We're going to get there on your, you know, on your health. I'm like, well, coach, you know, we can't protect. You know, he says, that's it. We're just going to give you a four and a half yard head start. Wow. I mean, he says, we're not, I'm not sure how we're going to be able to protect. So, And this is in 87. Exactly. When there was no, you know, offense like this, there was no five wide. There was Mississippi Valley State, which had Jerry Rice at one point, and they, they dabbled in it, you know. Yeah. So I think that's where maybe the impetus came for it. Yeah. But there wasn't a YouTube to see anything like that. There was just stuff where you'd become aware of it. And Mike was always an innovator. He was he that was his whole thought process. So at this point, he was simply trying to do build a workaround. And so we go into the first game and with Elon, which would be our second game of the season, and we were slated to be you know knockdown, drag out, Division two battle. We scored eighteen points in a minute and a half. And what was amazing about that was how explosive they called three timeouts. They didn't have any idea what they were seeing. We ran out on the field in five wide. We didn't huddle. We went out in five wide, and they just immediately called a timeout. They went man, which was a mistake because they could not cover. I had four 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 three four five speed in Bernard Ford, Arnell Spencer. I had uh, Donald Grayson. I mean, our tight end was as fast as some of the other guys. Yeah. So they had real problems. So I had guys open all over the field. And, uh, it was like a prototype run and shoot. It was it, basically it was read and react. Exactly, right. right. So we, we had five plays drawn up for it. And that's all we had. And by the end of the season, we had 50 because every week we added more. Yeah. And so we had two offenses. We had conventional where we just go under center and line up and do our pro stuff. And then we would just come out and go five wide and no huddle. Yeah. And that really just threw a curveball at teams. So we had a lot of success down this throughout the season. We set, I set school records. I, you know, had all kinds of stuff. Now, part of the challenge was is that you throw the ball that much, bad things are going to happen. Yeah. So we threw some picks. Now I think I still have the interception record. <laughs> I think I threw more picks that season than anybody's ever thrown. But the reality is, we threw it over five hundred times. Yeah. So, you know, in fourteen games, that's nearly fifty times a game plus. You know, so for me, the 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 math. You know, maybe one pick or one turn. We were throwing it down the field. Mm-hmm. In many cases, you know, by direction, you had no choice. Throw the ball in that direction because, you know, we got to get it out. As we got further in the playoffs, it, it became clear, though, that the better teams figured out how to stop it, and the way to stop it was to get to me. So yeah. they started doing all kinds of strange blitz packages and things like that. But it really put us in a position where the initial objective of getting to the getting to the playoffs to fulfill our number five ranking at the preseason and all that was justified. And here we are, first time in school history going to the playoffs, and we've achieved the objective. Um and which was really kind of what I was told before the season started, that if we don't go to the playoffs, we're going to probably cancel football because of the debt that the UCF program was in. That's what I wanted to ask you about next, because um, all, all the guys that I've spoken to, they all mention your dad to Steve, right? Mm-hmm. And how much he meant to everyone at UCF at the time. And this is a, a story that a lot of the guys in the room know about, but not a lot of UCF fans know about. Seems bizarre thinking about it now when we're talking about a multi-billion dollar business in college football and a multi-million dollar program at the Division I FBS level. But UCF football came darn close to 
basically ending exactly. in the late 80s. So tell us about that and tell us how your dad, Steve, saved UCF football. That's not a fair, not a far stretch to say that because what happened was Lou Saban, when he finished up his uh, tenure my freshman year, uh, my father knew Lou. Um, Lou was involved with him. My father was always a big booster in high school when I played at Lake Howe. And when I came to UCF, he would, you know, he just committed, I'm not going to try to do anything to get you a job. I'm just going to help. Well, my, my father's help came with a lot of benefits in the way that he knew a lot of people in town, was very well connected because of what he did for people in town and made their lives better. What did and you he was, very, he was in specialty advertising, okay. marketing, specialty marketing. So he did a lot for a lot of large influential companies like Wayne Dench's company and others where he did stuff to make their customers feel their value and understand and that made them feel good because their people felt good. Does that make sense? Right. So there was a lot of built up chit bank there when it came to my father that these people felt, you know, indebted to my father. So he was from time to time cash in a few of those chits to get them to help out, which is what ended up really happening at UCF on a very large scale. Yeah. My sophomore year, Gene McDowell arrives, and he came in larger than life. I mean, he brought a winning mentality. He brought an attitude of can-do from Florida State. I mean, it was just, we're going to win now. And, Darren, you're going to take us there. If you believe you're as good as I believe you are, we got a chance. So there was a lot of positivity when he arrived. And as such, our recruiting improved, and our whole approach improved. He brought a whole staff with him that was really legit coaches. So the whole work dynamic, everything changed. Uh, mat drills, all kinds of things we had to do to really get in shape, right? Must have been a real it rude awakening really at rough. one point. It yeah. was really rough. But and Gene was no nonsense. He didn't he didn't take excuses very well. He he was very direct in the way that he approached things. And you know what? That's what needed to happen. There've been a lot of excuses made. Well, he and my father built a relationship, uh, not for the purpose of anything other than my dad was on the booster club and what can I do to help? Well, the program was $1.1 million in debt at that point, and there was an immediate need to begin to eradicate that. But also, we needed facilities. We dressed in the baseball locker room my freshman year. We were practicing on a mud field. We had a lot of issues that, that weren't what they have now. Right. There was no stadium. We borrowed citrus ball, you know. Um, so right away, there were steps taken to begin to make connections for Gene to help him get to the right people in the right situations. My father was instrumental in a lot of that. Now... The part that needed to happen was we needed real money, not just to build facilities, but to eradicate the debt. And that needed to be something else. And so my father came up with an idea for an event called the Gate Crasher. And the original one was the OJ's Great Gate Crasher. Nick, uh, excuse me, Lou Saban helped get OJ to come and to be the first celebrity host for a night of auction events, for auctioning off uh, special event opportunities, packages, where people could go to the Masters for people deluxe accommodations, first class, the whole bit. This was at the game? This would be... Uh, or like at, an event? At the, at the Night of Nights is what okay. it was called, the event, the auction night. There would be about 20 to 30 packages that he'd put together that were un, ungettable. Okay. These, If you wanted to do them, you couldn't even buy them if you wanted to. Right. Like four deluxe tickets to the Masters, uh, a practice round with, with a pro. Wow. Uh, first class accommodations on one of the greenside condos, mm-hmm. first class flight, the whole bit, and got it all donated. Wow! And so these packages were going from anywhere between twenty to fifty thousand dollars a piece, without without any hesitation. And the guys who were fighting over it were the largest money guys in Orlando. So it was yeah. fun to be there to watch them 
go at each other because these events were, I mean, we're talking the Grand Prix of Monte Carlo. You can't even go to the Grand Prix of Monte Carlo. He had first-class accommodations at the Grand Prix of Monte Carlo, trackside, you know, the in, whole the, night. In, yeah, in the booth, you know, in, I mean, just things you're like, how did you get that? Well, I knew a guy who knew a guy, and, and he would do 20 or 30 of these packages. So they would have the silent auction, which would be stuff you would think would be throwaway, but the silent auction stuff was the stuff that most people put in their primary auction. Yeah. So between those two concepts of having these incredibly high-end opportunities, and then when the main auction started, it was really only about 20 people that were involved. And those guys bought everything, and they they had a great time, you know. Yeah. And of but he course, two hundred fifty-two thousand dollars first year, three hundred fifteen the second year, and four hundred sixteen thousand dollars the third year. Which, when you added all that up and light everything else, the debt had been eradicated by the senior year. But it was before that last event that occurred in the spring because they hadn't had it yet. Where the football team, you know, if you think of the timeline, the chronology, the third event was going to happen in the spring of my senior year. So the idea was we got to have a big fall yeah. to justify people still getting in the program. Well, we went to the playoffs. If you don't go to the playoffs, we're still almost a half a million dollars in debt. You know, we got to make it happen. Exactly. It's yeah. got to happen or else. And so we did our part. We got the semifinals, the national championship, and that energy level, that enthusiasm, much like what we see now with people. We didn't win the Fiesta Bowl or wherever we were. But there's a lot of enthusiasm for the program. It was the same way back then. And we were able to have that last big event. And so, you know, coming out of that, you know, things changed a little bit after we got out of debt and circumstances, what have you. But the Night of Nights, I think, ran for another couple of years and then it, then it went away. But my father stepped back because it was quite a lift. It, it yeah. would take him six months of the year to plan those and it's I, a lot I was, of favors to call because I was in well you have no idea I was involved <laughs> in a lot of it in the sense of being the background you know I had to do a lot of favors for dad you know different things that I had to do and make appearances and you know help him when he was talking to people and stuff but at the end of the day what it came out was is this was all him hmm. I mean people helped him don't get me wrong he had other people around him that were involved but anybody who was involved would know that it went because of Steve yeah. Steve it was Steve's idea you know, he brought in Mel Fisher, um, the guy who discovered the Atocha. In the second year, it was Mel's gate crasher or what have you, and he brought stuff from the treasure ship of the Atocha. Oh, wow. From Key West, from the big museum down there. He had all this gold around his neck, and he brought it all with him. And I mean, you want to talk about just swagger. I mean, that guy had some swagger, Mel Fisher, and he... One-man Gasparilla, all, yeah, right? He brought all that into the building with, with the... Uh, you know, security guys, and he brought stuff with him from this thing. They auctioned off stuff, and but it just brought another level. You know what I'm saying? So that was part of the experience. It was all just his creativity to bring that about. And as a result, the program, the pressure was off of having to try to create something because that was just being handled. And so when I say he saved it, if that wasn't done, no matter how much we won, the finances weren't there. Right. Somebody either had to write a check or it had to be gotten another way. And as it was, throughout that enthusiasm, Wayne Dench wrote a check for $1 million and built the Wayne Dench building that we were in for a while. And uh, I think that was really where we turned the corner was my senior year when they finally decided, oh, we can do this. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously things changed and we moved into 1AA and went on to do great things. And Mike Kruzik took that energy that Gene built 
and took it even to another level with you know the Dante era and everything else that happened in his time by him beating Alabama and the so there was a lot of waypoints for good things to happen mm-hmm. but the one that was most critical in my opinion was 85 to 87 when we had to address something that was kind of an unwritten or unspoken you know right. don't ask don't tell how bad it is and um, it all happened behind the scenes and most people don't know back at that time I mean, 1.1 million dollars that is a lot of money yeah I mean especially for a division I, two program yeah too, I mean right? it was it was unsurmountable and the fact that we had gotten there was quite caused a lot of consternation amongst the how do we get here right and a lot of it came down to the way things were you know we <laughs> I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus yeah. but the bottom line was decisions were made and money was spent that wasn't there right and it came from a previous expectation, you know, from other coaches that went before that oh, it'll get figured out somehow, and there was no solution. And so, Gene took a bad situation, leveraged the relationships he had, and props to him, he found some of the right people, and it was my dad, to help make that that happen. Yeah. So your career finished up in 1987. You take UCF to the Division Two playoffs, where you guys fell to the eventual national champions in Troy, an incredible football team, still an incredible program. Um, tell me how you got from the time you graduated from UCF into becoming a coach and a quarterback coach. And, you know, as I said in reference to you, preaching the gospel of good quarterbacking, not just to kids in Central Florida, but eventually around the country and in other countries, which I exactly. think is still mind-blowing to yes, me. Yes, a lot know? of enthusiasm worldwide for this game, but... The start came just right after I finished playing. Mm-hmm. There was an immediate awareness in me. I was working for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at that time, just helping out and just kind of a first job deal because I didn't really have another opportunity. And I was looking forward to, to serving and helping coaches in the community because I've been working with the on-campus club at that time. Yeah. And I saw an immediate way for me to connect with coaches in the area doing something I do, and that was I played quarterback. So I had 13 kids, one camp. It was free, just come. I threw well. Nobody got better. I didn't know how to coach. I didn't know what coaching was. I thought it was go out and show them how to do it, and then they do it, and it's good. Well, when I got out there, um, I found myself in a, in a wonderful place of being very enthusiastic about, wow, this could help. Because I had the same problem when I came up. I had nowhere to go when I was trying to get better. I wasn't always the best player. It's part of the reason I didn't play in the NFL. I, I was a good player. I was an All-American, Division II quarterback. Right. But I wasn't at the level of some of the guys were at because I lacked some some skills and some things I needed to develop. And there really was never a context to get better. It was always showcase. Mm-hmm. Show me what you got. So it was all on the organic growth of my own development. There wasn't somebody to take you out back and show you some things to help you gain an advantage. They say that's what the coach is for, but there were laws as to what Coach Cruz could and couldn't do with me, mm-hmm. time-wise. And most of the time we spent together was all scheme and working on stuff. So you only had maybe a few minutes a day to talk about anything related to getting better. Yeah. So that's not a blight on him. It's just the nature of the position. Yeah. What's well, so, the nature of NCAA rules, too? Exactly. It's like you're sp- you have to spend all that time getting ready for the game. Right. You don't have time to kind of go back into the in, into the back and let, hey, let's work on this little fundamental thing here and there. And there was no there was no strategy for that anyway. Right. Because there was nothing like that. Nobody had ever come up with that idea. So I began to realize not only was there a need for it, but very quickly it became apparent that I couldn't maintain both. In fact, I lost my job as a result of the immediate explosive growth of the enthusiasm for my offering. I went from 13 to 120 one night. I had 120 quarterbacks wow. just locally from the state of Florida that came in 
for an event. And that was the final straw, if you will, that said, hey, you gotta make a decision here. And I was already, so I ended up working in selling sporting goods and doing a number of other odd jobs that would allow me to continue to behind the scenes, grow this other opportunity. And I'll never forget the first camp I did outside the state of Florida. I thought I'd arrived, I'd made it. I went to Toledo, Ohio with a coach who was in Florida mm-hmm. at that time. He said, hey, you did a great job for us in Florida. Can you come to Toledo while I'm up here? And I'll never forget, we had a great conversation, you know, and, and a buddy of mine traveled with me. And we remember you know, we landed in Columbus, Ohio, and we drove around Ohio State Stadium, just trying to get the aura of the, of the Buckeye Stadium and the horseshoe at that time, because we were just loving the idea of being able to, can you believe we're traveling to train quarterbacks? Yeah, yeah. Isn't this the coolest thing Some ever? Kid we're going to talk to is going to oh, yeah. play here. I mean, it's just, yeah, it was the greatest feeling ever. Well, <laughs> you know, fast forward 32 years, I've trained over 50,000 quarterbacks and coaches now. Wow. through our organization and no we've not trained the best of the best but we have trained some I mean names you'd recognize I've worked with Tim Couch uh, Trevor Simeon who played I trained him when he was very young mm-hmm. I trained a number of these guys Dwayne Haskins was in our program uh, as an 11 year old you can there's a video oh, on wow, YouTube of really? him doing our coverage tests and coming to our camps now in our world in our industry a lot of guys take credit for those guys as if they had some unique Capability to do it. I, I no, I don't. I don't do that. I don't believe ownership is really appropriate. I think young men possess gifts, and if you can bring the best out of them, that's the way to go. My heart has always been to leave them better than you found them, from a character standpoint, from an integrity standpoint, because of the incredible influence they possess in the position they play. I have a unique opportunity to influence what could arguably be the next leadership structure of our country. So I take it very seriously. The opportunity that I have these men, that I have permission to influence them for a few days that they've trusted me with that. Right. And my staff understands that. And so we've built some pretty innovative ways to go about it, to inter- accelerate learning and do things that have really proven to be nationwide, worldwide, a very positive thing for people. Now we've had our detractors, but at the end of the day, we've just kept our head down, don't we do? And we've been very fortunate to build uh, a, not only a framework for players to get better, but coaches to get better. See, that's a whole other thing now is that if you, we have as many coaches that have said, I'm better because of my involvement with you. A better man, a better father, a better husband, and I'm a better uh, commitment to my players because of what you brought to the table. And that's still happening. And I'm so grateful for that. And now to watch my son do it mm-hmm. and have him be involved with it, there's a generational aspect that a lot of our, uh, even some UCF uh, alums, Michael Shaughnessy and others, sending their children to be involved in our program and they're being impacted. So there's a whole lot of good feel that comes out of that process. but. At the end of the day, that's how I got here, and that's why I've still been doing what I'm doing. So while I think I'm coaching quarterbacks, really the the hidden agenda is impacting the next generation of leaders and men that are going to make a difference. What is it about quarterbacking that that you've observed in the last 20 years, You know, basically since you played, about how the position has changed, not just from a scheme perspective with all the offenses that teams run now, we're seeing you know the spread, that's been moved over to you know the spread option. Now we're seeing a lot of RPOs and things like that. All those trendy, scheme-wise things. But what is it about quarterbacking and being a quarterback that is different now than it was when you played? I think the I think the evolution of quarterback play involves a couple of things. Number one, the importance of the quarterback has never stopped being the importance. I mean, it, if you don't have a quarterback, you have a hard time winning. I think what's happened is that the preparation of the quarterback at a younger level has improved. So what you're seeing now is guys contributing right 
as they arrive at the league level, at the collegiate level. Look at Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he's he's a yeah. good example. Uh, comes in as a true freshman. You know, I was just thinking about that. He's in the national championship on the sideline a year before he was at home watching the very game that he's now playing in, and they win the national championship. I mean, yeah. eight months that? before that, exactly. he was like going to his prom. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what you're seeing is this incredible ins- uh, resurgence, if you will, or preparation that's going on under under the guise of quarterback development. Uh, I've kind of created a cottage industry, if you will, because since I'm out there doing what I'm doing, a lot of other guys said, well, if he can do it, I can do it better. And quite frankly, there are guys doing it better than me. I've never said I was the best. I simply wanted to make a difference and help. But we have run into a substantial number of regional guys who now are, you know, it's a bit of a challenge now in the industry because they all think they've got the thing or they own this guy or they own that guy. But Mm -hmm. the benefit to the industry in that competition has created a better quarterback coming up to the next level. And the next level could just be high school, college, or the pros. So now NFL scouts are getting a better prepared on-arrival kid than what they had. The Baker Mayfields, the Jared Goffs, the Josh Rosens are much more prepared. The Trevor Lawrences coming into college, uh, the Justin Fields. And these kids aren't willing to sit. You can see they're transferring, right? Yeah. So what's happening is is they're being much more careful about where they go and about opportunities to play. Why? Because they can make immediate impact. And they don't feel like they need to sit and prepare because they feel like they're already ready. Mm-hmm. And they're right. They are ready. They're just, there's just only so many places a kid can play. Right. So they're having to shift and move and do what they got to do. And it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's the perception of loyalty is misunderstood because we live in a culture today where the NCAA has created a, a juggernaut of business on the backs of young men that aren't employed to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't blame them for seeking an opportunity for them to create chances for themselves. What's exciting is at our school, we've got a kid in Mackenzie Milton who went out and created a subculture in his own mm-hmm. right of excitement around being undersized being one of the typical, not atypical, successful guys and did something very special and helped us achieve something that no one else has done, you know, yeah. being undefeated. And so there's there's two stories going on. There's the high-level stuff where you have those guys, and then you have the other stories where guys like McKenzie are getting a chance to play and make a difference in a program like what we've had. Mm-hmm. And that's equally as fun for me because I see both happening in my industry. Yeah. I'm training kids that will make an impact like McKenzie that maybe – We'll just get that shot to help a team grow. And then there's that once-in-a-decade kid like Trevor that comes through, and nobody really made him better. He was already, you know, God just reached out and said, you will be awesome. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's guys trying to take credit for him, but the reality is he was already destined for greatness. He's yeah. our next Peyton Manning, if you will. But That's high praise. That's true. Yeah. It's the guy's, the guy's legit, and wow. he's got the character to go with it. So I'd be very surprised if we don't see a young man who – you know, puts in puts in the time to become. Now, I don't know if he'll have the heart to play as long as Peyton did. Yeah. That's the one question that still remains for me is, with the way the game is going and the way the quarterbacks are approaching it, I don't think guys are going to play as long as these guys are in this last generation just because of the... You think so, even with the rules now? I don't know. I just don't know. I, I think it's hard to say because the nature of the game is changing in terms of physicality, the way it's, you know, leaving guys damaged, if you will. Yeah. I mean, and the way the mindset is is... I don't know. We'll see. But it's very exciting because we're getting a lot better quality football. The ball's being thrown better than it ever has been, and it's putting pressure on very athletic defenses. So the days of running just the option or watching football be boring is, you know, other other than the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
which <laughs> seems to be the exception of the rule, strangely enough, right? Well, when you put two incredibly defensive minds at the head coach and yeah. defense coordinator position on either side of a field in the Super Bowl, you're not going to get an offensive battle. You're going to get you know vintage defense, yeah, which is it was what really you saw. a chess match. Yeah, yeah. Belichick and, and Wade, and Wade, uh, yeah. Wade Phillips. So. What's exciting for me in this whole process of quarterback development is seeing that what we're doing is making a difference. Even for the kids that aren't necessarily the Trevor Lawrences of the world, mm-hmm. they're getting an opportunity to compete. And that's where most parents are at. They don't want they don't want us to guarantee a scholarship. Don't give me the guarantee that my kid's going to get that. Just give my kid a chance to compete. Prepare him. Mm-hmm. And in that mix, what we get to do is affect leadership, character. We get buy-in on levels that most kids who... You know, typically aren't receiving input motivationally. We're able to make a big impact. So, got a couple more questions that I want to that I want to do, and kind of like lightning round, kind of funnish questions. Okay. So, all right, uh, give me your UCF football Mount Rushmore. Give me four guys. I did this Rushmore. online. I did this online recently. All right, who did I say? I had Culpepper. Okay. Um, I had. Oh man, this is going to be hard. Um. All of a sudden, it got hard, right? Did. Well, you put me on the spot. I had it. I had it. I did this once before online. Somebody did this, and I was like, okay, here's my guys. Uh, it's a receiver. Um, uh, Brandon? Yes. Okay, Brandon, Brandon Marshall. Marshall. Yeah, he was yep. one of them. Your fellow Lake Cal graduate. Yeah. It was a running back um, that we had for years there. Uh, Kevin? Yes, yeah, Kevin, Kevin Smith. Smith. Right, thank you. And then... Um, That's three offensive guys. You gotta have a defense. I was gonna say somewhere. Hughes, but I mean he's recent. But it was yeah. a, there was another guy that was in that mix. Um, See, I would pick I would pick those three guys, and then I would go with uh, Asante Samuel. There you go. He okay. went to the NFL. Yeah, yeah it was a defensive back, uh, but I liked Hughes because he was so explosive. Right. But I Great thought, special yeah. But player. I mean, Asante's gone on to do tremendous things, and it was a tremendous asset. Shut down corner when he played. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you on that. Uh, all right, I'm going to stick you in the laboratory, and I'm going to tell you to put together a Franken quarterback based on this guy's arm, this guy's legs, this guy's footwork, this guy's brain. Put together, the, the, put together Darren Slack's perfect Franken QB. Great question. I take Aaron Rodgers' ability to adapt his mechanics to any situation. Okay. I'll take Tom Brady's passion, com- commitment, and desire that is unmatched. That chip he lives with on his shoulder where everybody tells him he can't. If everybody would just shut up, he would retire. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? So just, I will, I will okay, take note that. to everybody. Please stop reminding yeah, Tom Brady how old he, he that's is. That's right. That he can't play. Yeah. Because the more you do it, the more he's going to win. Yeah. Um, and, and I would take uh, a little bit of Patrick Mahomes's, you know, creativity. I mean, that guy's curving the ball. You know, so I'd mix that in with Rodgers a little bit and Brady. I would take um, Manning's intelligence, you know, his his capacity to read and recognize what's going on, and then just throw it right over the top with Favre's competitiveness. Okay. I mean, just over the top. It just ends it right there. I mean, I, people would say Baker Mayfield, but Baker hasn't done enough yet to to say he's there. But he's got that same spirit of Brett Favre where he's going to make something happen he's wherever he goes. He's got that it, right. it feels like. Exactly. There's yeah. that it. So, But as people would know, I would take those that there. And then at the end of the day, the consistency of Drew Brees. Yeah. Just all day long, just delivering 4,500 to 5,000 yards a year and doing what he does. You know, Who's the best quarterback you've ever seen? The greatest of all time? The greatest of all time. 
Tom Brady. Tom Brady. No question. I he 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 ended that for me in the twenty-eight to three comeback. Yeah. I mean, I remember walking out of the second quarter and going, "Well, at least we get to go home early tonight." I actually said that to my wife. I said, "It's too bad." He's. Were you at the game? No, I oh. was. I was at a friend's house watching okay. the game, and I'm like, "Well, at least we get to turn in early tonight." <laughs> so by the time we got back, third quarter had just started, and I kept telling my wife, "I said, if he pulls this off, he will have sealed the deal for me." Yeah. And now he goes and wins another one this year, and then last year. He threw for 500 yards against the Eagles defense and almost won it against right. a better Eagles team. So it isn't close. Joe Montana would have been my previous, mm. but Joe, like many others, benefited from personnel around him. Yeah. I look at what Brady has around him. He's got a, a guy who won't be able to walk when he's 41 years old <laughs> in Gronkowski. He's got a couple of wide receivers that literally live on grit, Hogan, and Edelman. Mm-hmm. There isn't necessarily substantial explosiveness in either one of them. But he's got uh, personnel that all seem to gel together in a way that, that works. And I don't know how they do it. Because most people would say that the, the quarterbacks have succeeded because they had personnel around them. You know, Jerry Rice, you had... John Taylor. And, John, you know, and all the running backs, Roger, guys, yeah. Roger, and all the rest of them. And there's always a personnel issue. Brady continues to do it with with what? Right. I mean, Interesting. you keep pointing at things to say, well, he had this guy, he had that guy. Maybe the best offensive player he had was, well, Randy Moss for, what, right. two seasons? After that, Corey Dillon maybe at the very beginning. Yeah, he's plug and play. He continues yeah. to find a way to get the ball. And you know what the secret of their success is? Is their offensive line. Yeah. He got touched once in the Super Bowl, and I told everybody sitting around, I said, he won't get touched again. It's a pride thing with them. He hadn't been touched in three games in the playoffs, and the fact that he got hit once, you watch. He will not get touched again. And they're all like, oh, yeah. I'm like, no. They'll talk to each other, and they probably got a pool, and whoever gives up a touch is going to get yeah, in trouble. You know? exactly. So I'm really <laughs> impressed by their offensive line and their ability to sustain protection. What the difference was in them winning this year and last year, though, was their defense. Because mm-hmm. their defensive backfield was horrible last year, yeah. and the Eagles exploited it. This year? They did what they needed to do to get it right, and they played beautifully. I mean, it was boring as all get out, but it was exactly what needed to happen to shut down the vaunted L.A. Rams attack, and look what we had. I just shook my head and couldn't believe he just did it again. I mean, who would have called that? Nobody. So props to him, greatest of all time. You mentioned Trevor Lawrence as a guy you really like. Uh, Who do you see who are some of the young guys maybe in the NFL now or maybe – Heading into the NFL in the next couple of years, that are going to be that have the potential to be the next guy or set of guys that we'll be talking about. Mahomes will be one of them. Yeah, um, and I actually called that when he came out. I said he would be successful. I called Lamar Jackson. I think he'll be very good. Mm-hmm. These are some guys that didn't go very big in the draft that were under the gun, under the radar, if you will. Right. Mahomes was almost dismissed as a system guy because he played at well, Texas Tech, which was ridiculous. Well, let's just remember, the greatest of all time was 199. You know, right. He got drafted 199. So their ability to discern the next is really influenced too much by things that they don't get. Yeah. And there are some intangibles here that some coaches have the ability to see. The Belichicks, the Andy Reeds, things like that, that they've been around enough to know that there's some dynamics in play that can't be ignored. So I think they'll be good. I think Baker Mayfield, um, bless his heart, I, I think the, 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 the process of being, being in Cleveland is going to catch up to him. He'll be very successful for a time unless he finds a situation where he can get that second contract that's going to help him succeed. 
I think he'll do very well for a while. I think if um, anyone can overcome that, I think he it's, can. I think he can. I yeah. think he's on his own, legit enough, and he has enough competitive fire to be successful wherever he goes. I think he also has the knowledge and skill set to be able to deliver the ball from the pocket. Mm -hmm. So when you evaluate a young quarterback in the league, you don't evaluate their athleticism, their ability to run, their ability to be modal, because everybody's mobile there. What you're looking for is can they drop back and throw from the pocket. And what's interesting to me is to see what Kyler Murray's doing. Mm -hmm. Because he can throw from the pocket, but I don't know if he'll stick around long enough to make that choice, Mm -hmm. but he's going to try it. And I think he'll be an interesting one to watch because he's so explosive when he leaves. Again, reminds me of Lamar Jackson, just yeah. the ability to get out. Lamar, decision-making is still up in the air for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really just comes down to your ability to stay in the pocket and decide. And so Trevor Lawrence is just filling a hole on the Clemson team until he gets the the Brinks truck back up to his house and he gets all <laughs> he's got coming. Right. Um, I just you know Another one that's going to be very successful will be Jake Fromm from okay. Georgia. He will be another one of those that will get out. Um the guys that are coming out this year, I mean, I think they're all very much like Josh Rosen. I mean, I think they all have been, they've all been prepared well. Gardner Minshew, um, Drew Locke. I mean, these are some guys that can play. But again, what I told you before, there's guys that that all can play, but then there's going to be guys that take it to the next level. Yeah. And they're going to have to have that extra something special, the it factor, to do that. And right now, the guys who're doing it: Mayfield, Mahomes, and. Jared Goff. All right, so I can't let you out of here without talking about UCF's quarterbacks because, like I said, like we said, you are you are the shaman of quarterbacks, <laughs> as far as we know, and and it's an interesting situation at UCF now, which I know you which I know you follow, um, with McKenzie getting hurt. I mean, obviously we know we don't know what his future is going to be. Daryl Mack came in had uh, had some. Excellent moments, particularly in the in the championship game against Memphis, had some days when he struggled as well. I mean, it's what you expect from a redshirt freshman quarterback. He'll be heading into camp as well, as well. Uh, and he'll be ostensibly competing with Brandon Wimbush, who comes over as a grad student from Notre Dame. Who, you know, all we have to do is just Google search him on YouTube, and you can see a, uh, a, a an embarrassment of riches of highlights from him. Um, it's it's really quite the, the interesting situation for Josh Heupel. I'm sure he must be like, you know, wow, this is going to be great. When you look at this, knowing what you know, and practicing what you practice, what do you think about the UCF quarterback situation heading into uh, heading into 2019, and how do you evaluate it as a coach? Well, there's a lot of wonderful aspects of this that are to consider, and the first one is that we can attract players like Brandon to come. I think that's the first thing you want to look at is that Josh Heupel being who he is and that UCF now has the respect to be a considered transfer process or transfer consideration for Division I legitimate players is an exciting prospect for me. Also to get the likes of Dylan Gabriel coming behind and others who would have other options, bigger options, thus choosing to come to our university. I think that's the biggest upside of a 25-0 and record in the regular season that we can hope for. I think that's what is exciting about our future. And here's what's interesting. That's not going to go away. Yeah. Because we are in the hotbed of recruiting in the nation. Florida would arguably be in the top four states of the nation in terms of density of talent, density of athleticism. That doesn't mean we're the best. I'm not going to sit there and have that argument. You know, people in Texas would get very offended in California, Louisiana, whatever. The point is, we're in the mix, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, 
And what that means is that no longer is it just Florida, Florida State, Miami that are getting the big names, UCF's in the conversation. And good for them for that. Uh, what do we have here locally is exactly what you can see going forward is you're going to have depth at the quarterback bench, yeah. which is what we haven't had in the past. Mackenzie Milton brought a very unique and very special thing to our university, and that is he's he was the anomaly. In other words, a guy who, in the right situation, the right offense, with the right skill set to create lightning. He's a unicorn, basically. Exactly. Yeah. You, you don't... How do you take a 5'10", 5'9", if you're, I don't know what they're really saying, how tall he is, who is a slight guy, but he's got all the right intangibles, all the right abilities, all the right decision-making in the right system, and you strike, and lightning strikes. Mm -hmm. Most universities hope they can do that once in a decade because at this level. What's happening for UCF now is that McKenzie's going to create a situation where lightning in a bottle is normal. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have different guys who themselves showing up are lightning in a bottle. And Brandon Wimbush could be that for us. I don't know him as a player. I've seen he had his issues at Notre Dame because he had to compete with Ian Book. Didn't work out for him. Probably issues of consistency as I see it, but I don't know enough about that to make a determination. Ian Book's also pretty good, too. I mean, that's the Ian's other great in his own tough, right. Man. I know who yeah. trained Ian. I know what he brings to the table, and so that's a legitimate. So this isn't a blight on Brandon. I mean, Brandon's bringing great skill set and athleticism to our program, and if anybody can make the most of it, it's going to be Josh Heupel. Mm -hmm. That's what most excites me about this is it really isn't because Josh adjusted well for Daryl, and he's going to adjust for Brandon. Um, and then right behind that, you got Dylan coming in, who's going to create uh, something of an interesting conversation as well. So yeah. rather than deciding who I think is going to start, I'd like to highlight the fact that UCF's on the map now as a legitimate consideration for guys at that level who want to find a place where they can make an impact. Josh is going to throw it all over the yard. He's going to build an infrastructure of athletes that want to run down the field and catch the ball. Mm -hmm. So signal callers at that level are going to want to come here. That just creates the normal problem you see at every Division One university. Four- and five-star quarterbacks battling it out, and what happens? The whole program improves because the ball's being distributed properly and effectively. It's not a one-time-in-a-decade deal. And so that's what I'm excited about for the quarterback program. Who I think it'll be, you're not going to give an answer to that because <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. But uh, everybody has their opinions what's going to happen. I think it's very healthy for UCF football to have this kind of interest and enthusiasm. And I'm sure Josh will make the right call. And I'm sure we'll see both guys next year a lot. I think both are going to probably end up having a chance to play. And I think what in the end we'll, we'll see is the guy who does the thing we need him to do is going to be the guy. But I don't think UCF suffers with either of them at the helm. And if McKenzie somehow figures out a way to come back, that, that just takes it up another level, right? I yeah. Mean, so there's no downside in our quarterback future, which is what sets the course for the whole program because – Quarterback's not the only position on the field, I understand that, but I think it's hard to argue the fact that if you don't have a quarterback, it's difficult to win. Mm -hmm. I think the L.A. Rams found that out in the Super Bowl when Jared didn't play as well as they would have liked to have him play, not like Nick Foles in the previous year, if right. that makes sense. I think those are just indications of the kind of stuff that a quarterback can do for you. For UCF, we've had a great string of quarterbacks over the years. I think we're headed to another level now with these guys. Maybe we can run the A11 formation where you put two quarterbacks in there. <laughs> I'm familiar with that. Yeah. <laughs> Darren Slack, uh, all-time UCF great, quarterback guru for three decades. 
Um, his name is still all over the record books uh, here, at, here at UCF, and an absolute honor to talk to you oh, and to talk pleasure. football with you and to talk about you know how, and also about your dad. Who well, that's what I want to thank you for. It's given me an opportunity to to brag on him a little bit because it's been a long time. I mean, I can't believe it's been nearly thirty years since yeah. those days, and or it has been. And the fact that 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 the uh, committee or anybody would even take an interest in honoring him for what he did is it's overdue from my perspective but more importantly I don't want to live looking backwards and say what should have happened I just want to be grateful mm. uh, to you and to the others to take the time to, to even consider us I mean we did our part small whatever it is you know but having seen what he did and the amount of time he put in even posthumously from my perspective as his son mm. uh, it means a lot so I'm very grateful thank you for taking the time to write the excellent article you did and to, to interview me I'm very grateful thank you for letting me in to uh, to the the laboratory with the, uh, <laughs> the tubes time. the tubes and wires all over the place <laughs> where we're cooking up the next generation of quarterbacks uh, real quick where can people reach out to you uh, we're in two places www.quarterbackacademy.com mm -hmm and www.nationalfootballacademies.com. One is more broad positioning stuff we're doing for the future, our NFA concept, and our primary original thrust, our original flavor, quarterbackacademy.com, which is where most people find us. And uh, lots of resources up there for coaches and players and parents if they're looking for assistance with their future quarterback sons. All right, Darren Slack, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck. I know you're getting ready to hit the camp season really hard, so safe travels when you're out there. We'll talk again, all right? Thank you, sir. I'll tell you, you want to talk about a guy who knows quarterbacks uh, and <laughs> knows knows what it's like to be a quarterback and is just a phenomenal teacher. Darren Slack is it, man. I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, you asked me before, how, how, is, how come Mark Giacone's not in the Hall of Fame? Right. And I was like, I don't know. I, and frankly, I don't know why Darren Slack isn't either. Right, uh, especially with the success they had during that time. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you this. Let me see about this proposal to you. Let me propose this. To okay. You. Because I do, I have concerns for them uh, moving forward. Now, uh, hopefully, uh, moving forward, that the Hall of Fame will be a little more consistent. Maybe we get it every two years and we'll get some rhythm. But as you know, Jeff, we're coming. Uh, we're you know the seven to ten year mark. We're getting into a really great era of UCF athletics, not just football, but all sports. Yeah, a lot of success in the and, and those and a lot of those athletes are about to become eligible. So it becomes tougher competition. Should the Hall of Should we consider for the Hall of Fame maybe a category, an extra category? We talked about how we think it should not be limited to five, and maybe. Maybe we kind of do a, a, a every year you get somebody in from the pre division one era in all sports. You know, so that's maybe you get somebody that's a other good idea. Do that, yeah. Other schools because I think it's it's hard to how do you compare a Darren Slack if you're in a ballot, if you're a member and you see Darren Slack, but you also see, uh, for example, Blake Bortles coming up down the road, right? Or you know, things like that, or, or Brandon Marshall you know, or Mike Sims Walker or someone like that, yeah. Correct. Uh, how do you how do you pick? You know, and and you might say, well, pick them all. Well, that's not true. Then you got guys like Jermaine Taylor in basketball, and great baseball players coming up, and track and field. That there's mm -hmm. just a ton of competition. That I wonder if maybe, um, and I'm more as we go further forward, Jeff. If we go further forward, it's going to be tougher because it, the, that that goes a lot longer. You could get lost uh, lost a little bit, and I wonder if maybe if you set a a specific uh, category 
for someone to pre you know divided into the pre division one era and the division one era. What's fascinating to me is in ba basketball, men's basketball, there is not a Hall of Famer right currently from the division one era in basketball. It's the right. opposite problem they have there, which I think is going to change, but as we'll get into. But so I think that's the question. Is 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 that the best way to maybe protect and get these guys in? Because I do worry, Jeff, that these guys are not going to get in because of the competition's only going to get harder here as we get it through as we, the years move forward. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough to say. I think that the problem is. Uh, I think that there's a couple of problems. I think the the first problem is that we only do this every two years. Why? Why is this not? I want to an, do it every year. I want to do it every year. I think we should do it every year. I'm not year. against that, by the way. I'm not against I, that. The argument I was told a few years back: Well, we're a young university in sports. We don't have enough candidates, which I disagree with. BS. Of course you do. We just we just went through them all. <laughs> right. Especially gone through this uh, us going through this project. I think there are plenty to do this every year if they choose to do that, and I'm not against that. And why not do this? Every year, I'm assuming this is returning in the fall, maybe during homecoming, right? I don't think you can spin this quickly into the spring. It's we're already in February. Yeah. You're in the process of selecting your class. I think that's unfair to the people that get nominated to quickly have a quick turnaround in two months. Hey, drop everything you're doing and come over here. Um, so I, th I have a feeling this is going to get moved to the fall. And you've been discussing this at length that this has a lot to do with the facilities that has been built. There's a facility, right? You have said. That will be dedicated it, to the Hall of Fame. It, it has been it has been relayed to me that among the features of the building that's going up, the new building that's going up in between the the Wayne Dench field or the Wayne Dench uh, complex, the weight room, and the uh, and the field house, Nicholson Field House, is I mean that's going to be where the administration, the athletics administration, is going to be housed. And it has been told to me that that's where there will apparently be, like the physical UCF Athletics Hall of Fame um, will be. What's now, whether or not it'll be it? like, like, uh, oh, who the hell knows? I, I, don't, I don't even know. I don't even know if UCF Athletics knows for sure. But, okay. um, but uh, now, this hasn't been confirmed to me. But I would imagine that if it's going to happen, yeah, that's where it would. That's where it would take. That's where it would be, and that's where it. Should be. I hope it's the case. I have no idea. Well, I mean, I haven't seen any, <clears throat> excuse me, floor no. plan or any of that. But anyway, uh, I, I do, do agree hope... with me that I think this is being moved to the fall. Yeah, I, I, I inductions, I think, sense. in the fall. And that makes sense. I, th I hope that they do them around homecoming week because I think that would be a great event um, on only, homecoming only, week. So Correct. I agree. The only negative might be some of the football players if they're available or not. And we'll get into that because there's one guy in particular who's <clears throat> yeah. definitely a ballot Hall of Famer that may not be available to attend this. So we'll get into that. But yeah. uh, otherwise, I think football in the fall makes sense. A lot of people always come back to homecoming. That would seem to be logical. A lot of schools do it in the fall anyway. Uh, I know they tried to do it in the spring during the spring game. Um, and for whatever reason, they've moved it. I mean, I was fine either way. But mm -hmm. I think it seems to me like this one is going to get moved to the fall. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're going to find out once all the details are out, that they're going to try and pull this off late here in the spring. I don't think that's a great idea, having because I just think that's a lot you know, for people to kind of quick turnaround, but you never know. Right. All right. So before we give our – well, actually, okay, let's do this. Let's give our – if we were on the committee, let's give our five uh, well, let, people let, let that we would – Let's do this real quick. Let's, okay. Uh, we'll quickly glance through some of the major sports, and, and, and we'll say – if. if 
and I'll say who I think is a legitimate candidate to get in this year. You tell me if you agree or disagree on that, all right? Okay. All right. Sounds uh, good. Go example, ahead. I think football – so football, you've mentioned the two guys we've had on this program, obviously, from the old time. I'm going to go yep. – uh, I think, obviously, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith is, is eligible and on a normal circumstances should be in. The question, though, with Kevin Smith is he's the running back coach at FAU as we speak. Mm-hmm. Odds are, if this is held in the fall, he won't be available to attend that. So does that prevent him from getting in? Do they wait till he can make it one year? Do they make exceptions? I, I don't know. But I think in football, I think Kevin Smith and I think Brandon Marshall are the two favorites to possibly be the next football player to get in. Brandon Marshall, in fact, maybe I'm a little – I'm reading too much into this. I've noticed recently he's been pumping up UCF a lot yeah. on TV. Is that a sign that somebody tipped him during the su- there? During the Super Bowl, I think yep. he was talking about UCF quite Correct. a bit. Is that right? Yes. So I'm wondering that somebody at UCF reach out to Brandon not to maybe make the Hall of Fame, and you know, or Brandon maybe he's aware of it. Yeah. Uh, I think those. I think one of those two, Jeff, will get it. Is there anybody else? I mean, do you agree with that? What, what's your thoughts on that? Or you got anybody I, else? I I agree. I, I think that if you're if you're looking at it from a like it's like the NFL draft, right? If you're looking at it from a best available position, like Brandon and Kevin are slam dunks. Right. Like th- th- there's 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 no two ways about that. I mean, you you got to put them in. I, on the other hand, I I, I kind of feel like it, 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 if that's the case, we're going to start to see some strange things happen. And like you were saying, like all of a sudden it'll start, it'll go from. It, it it'll sort of sort of skew towards the newer guys, and yep. I think that yeah, you know, there are three guys I would really like to see get in the Hall of Fame from football from the old time, from the old time, and obviously Mark Giacone is one of them. Darren Slack is another, and Darren Hinshaw as well, and and that now that's an interesting one in particular because Hinshaw he's he's a uh, he's the offensive coordinator at uh, Kentucky. And, you know, obviously he will be, you know, busy during Correct. the football season. So uh, so he wouldn't be able to – I don't know if, you know, y- you would have to accept the the the, uh, the the induction in person. Um, Yeah, I don't know what the rules are on that. I didn't see that in the rules. So um, I would hope that that's – you know, that that's well, not the Well, they're going to have case. to adjust it. They're going to have to adjust it. If they move it to the fall, they're going to have to adjust it. Otherwise, right. you have a hard time getting football players in <laughs> you know what i mean so uh, i think those are some of the candidates to look for in football i think basketball there's two names mm-hmm. men's basketball uh jermaine taylor who is the best player arguably in the history of the program if not if not the entire program certainly no somebody to say both park but it's him at division he's gonna get in uh division uh, one level all-time leading score correct dexter lyons is a guy that's been floated there i think he's another option there jeff and i think he's an exact perfect example of what you brought up if we had the hall of fame two years ago i think dexter lyons gets in but because we're doing it this year and he's potentially going up against dexter lyon uh, going up against jermaine taylor among others he may not get it but i would think those are the two names that jump out and one of them i think will be the first ever ucf basketball player to get into the hall of fame from the division one era yeah, I, I would. I I love Dex. Uh, you know, he was he was uh, he played when I was a student when we were students. Um, I loved everything that he uh, that that he did. 
I just think that you've got to get Jermaine Taylor in. I mean, you, I mean, if that's the case, he's got to get in there. Um, women's basketball is a little uh, is a little different. They got it's a long shot. I think it's it's year. a it's a long shot. I think this year. I think probably the best opportunity this year might be either Francine Houston, who played right. from 04 to 07, or Celeste Hudson, uh, who played just before Francine. I think she finished up in 2006. Um, th- those two might be the best opportunities to do it. You could possibly have Allie Roberts in there who graduated in 05. Um, I'm probably missing a couple of people, but I, th- but I think it would be difficult with women's basketball. Um, Soccer, you had some. You threw out some really interesting names that we put out there. I think that we may very well get somebody from women's soccer, um, and and I, I, in particular, I think Alini Reyes probably has the best shot, don't you? Well, yeah, I think Reyes would be the front runner. Just a couple of years ago, going back to our whole thing about the Olympics participation, so she's got a leg up. I think some other names to keep in mind uh, of note. I think, uh, by the way, for women's soccer, believe this or not, Jeff, they haven't had a women's soccer Hall of Famer in since 2008. Kelly Coach ever made it. Kind of yeah. surprising. Um, so they've been a bit, a bit of a drought. Uh, I think Tisha Jewell maybe eventually gets in, but I don't think she gets in in this class. She was an All-American in 2011. Courtney Witten uh, is a great player, but I don't think she gets in. Becca Thomas is another one to consider. 09 All-American midfielder of the year. I think she's under consideration, but I agree. Reyes has the best resume of the group she stands out uh playing on the brazilian national team was an all-american at 08 obviously the great run to the elite eight with ucf in 2011 if someone's going to get in in women's soccer right now i would make her the favorite whether it's this year or maybe a couple years from now that remains to be seen Mm -hmm. but i think you're right that would be the front runner on the women's side uh for women's soccer uh and then men's soccer is kind of i think they're a little bit of a long shot although uh, certainly Sean Johnson. This is where it gets controversial, right? Sean Johnson played two years at UCF. Right. Uh, had a nice run, but then declared early, went pro, played as a, has had a good career in the MLS, is currently with the U.S. men's national team, has been part of two gold cups. I think he's hoping that maybe by the next World Cup uh, he could be a part of that for the United States, assuming they qualify. Uh, but we don't even know if he's got a, if he graduated. He may not have graduated, so he might not even yeah. be eligible. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I I actually um, so, actually don't know. Yeah, so you may have to you may have to wait till a Warren Crabell who played from 2010 to 2011 was an All American in 2010. Men's soccer is tricky because guys declare early and play internationally early, so that's going to be a tricky one. Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody from men's soccer making it in this class. I think the best shot for soccer as a whole will be women's soccer, and I think Ray is certainly the front the favorite there. Yeah. Um, by the way, I wanted to throw in one other. Um, women's soccer name as well that we um that probably gets overlooked a little bit uh, jennifer montgomery who played uh who yeah. you know, still holds a record she played in the early 2000s really great player at that time. and becca eshelman too i think also might be might should probably get some consideration for uh for ucf uh women's soccer but you're right about men's soccer it is tricky um because you know guys do leave real i remember sean was here he was spectacular but yeah. he wasn't even it, he wasn't at UCF. He was good, but he wasn't. He was wasn't nearly as good as he became, and has become. Correct. He's with USMNT, like you said. So, a um, couple other sports. Go ahead and throw a couple more out there. Uh, well, let's go baseball, right? Yeah, I let's mean, go baseball. Baseball is baseball's freaking loaded, man. Correct. 
I mean, you've got guys like Clay Tipner, who we saw in the last Hall of Fame. He inducted D. Brown yep. into the Hall of Fame. And I think, you know, you can make the argument Clay Tipner should get honored. He's eighth all-time in batting average at UCF, tied for 10th in runs scored, tied for 9th in hits. He's all over the place in scoring marks. He was a part of uh, some of the success, UCF success during that time. Another great, name, great Drew leadoff Tipner. guy, too, Clay Tipner. He was great amazing. Um, Butera is fascinating because he's had a great Major League Baseball career. Uh you know, he, he was a Johnny Bench, uh, you know, Butero's a Johnny Bench guy, uh, finalist in 2005. He was drafted in the fifth round in 05. He's obviously won a World Series with the Royals. But, you know, he's a guy that maybe has helped UCF from the standpoint of his big league career even more than his college game. Um, so I think he's a factor. You got guys like Kyle Bono and Matt Fox who are great pitchers at UCF. Um do they get in? They've got good numbers. They didn't stay a long time. I think those are some of the names. Shane Brown, who's all over the record books. Uh, when you think about a sixth in batting average, tenth in runs scored, tenth in home runs. And then Chris Duffy, who had that magical year where he was a gold, uh, Golden Spike Awards finalist in 2010 and is the all-time leader in home runs. I mean, you've got some guys here, and it's going to be interesting, though. How do you how do they stand out in that from that class and who gets in from that standpoint? This is by far – baseball is going to be fascinating – you're going to see some of these guys get in, but I, it'll be interesting. Do they cancel each other or not? I, it's hard to pick a favorite on that one. That one might be the, a, really a tough one to kind of distinguish there, what your preference is. I know. That's – I mean, I, I don't know. I You probably might have a better idea on softball, though, don't you? Well, yeah. Let me ask you real quick. Okay. I test. My cons- – shouldn't uh, – I test should matter, right? If you watch the player play, I think factors in because sometimes a resume doesn't do a guy's career justice. Don't you agree with that? And maybe that hurts. Well, I think that's, I think that's why the, the that's why they have that sort of second category that's in there, right? Uh, you know, it, it, somebody who may, yeah. maybe didn't you know light up the record books, but was a really significant part of a team that you know played well, or you know really was a program changing. Uh, athlete one way or the other. I think that's why that's there. Um, now, where are you going with this? Well, I just wonder, I wonder in the future if the committee considers reaching out to people that actually watch some of these sports play, especially the sports that don't <laughs> get covered on a regular basis, like football and men's basketball, right? Like, who's right. who's going to vote for the volleyball players when they get... Uh, yeah. See, this, is, this is where I wish I knew who was on the committee. Well, I You know, I mean... <laughs> Like, for example, I'll defer. Let me ask you about volleyball. Because who's going to vote for volleyball when these players used like, come up? Like, who who watched uh, – you know, I'll throw a name out. I'll, I'll bring up volleyball since that will be an export. And Aaron Campbell, for example, or Meredith Murphy. Uh, yeah. Or or, you know, uh, or or Tanya Jarvis. or who, Correct. Yeah. You saw them play, but did anybody in the committee see them play? Um, I that's, I think, a very interesting question about that. And that's my concern for those sports is who's repre- – who has the representation of that sport, right? And I think that's where that could be a maybe addressed if, hey, who has seen these players play? I, I wish that would be some way that they have a voice in there that they don't get lost in the shuffle. And I would say the same thing for like a Darren Slack. I wonder if that's partly what's hurt them is, uh, to some extent, although I know for a fact in the committee there have been people that saw Darren Slack. So I, I, I don't think that applies uh, to this case. But I do worry, Jeff, about those type of sports. I mean, I'll, I'll mention softball since you're right. I mean, there's Allison. I think there's two names that are in the mix for this particular class. I think mm-hmm. it's Janae Hoster and it's Allison Kime. And it's kind of like the Dexter Lions versus Jermaine argument. If you're going on best player, then you have to go with Kime. She was the first two-time 
all-region player, believe it or not, in UCF softball history. She still holds a number of those pitching records. Uh, even with all the great pitchers they've had since, she still holds a number of them. She led them to the regional final within one win of the Super Regional. She went on to win an MPF title. Um, if it's going to be softball this year, I think it's time. Uh, and I think Shinhoster is another victim like a Dexter Lions, whereas, Jeff, if they have a Hall of Fame two years ago, uh, I think Shinhoster gets in. But yeah. she may not get in this year because she's not. she didn't have the career that a kind did. But again, who in the committee saw Allison Kine play? Who saw Janae Shinhoster play? Who has seen Natalie Land play? I'm raising my hand as we speak. <laughs> uh, I am available. Uh, yeah. But that's, my, that's a legitimate concern that I have moving forward. And I'll go even more extreme. When we get into track and field athletes and we get into, like, rowing, uh, how do you judge that? I mean, all the success that Becky Kramer's had at rowing, but they're not really an individual sport, right? So how do you, how do you like acknowledge rowing? Yeah, that's uh, who's seen golf, for example, is another one. Tennis, you name it, just go through across the board. I think that's going to be interesting to me how they handle those sports moving forward into this Hall of Fame class. Because who, who's the eye test? Who's the people that saw? Them? Because it used to be Jeff. You could say, well, maybe the media relations person's been there all this time, so he that person can represent. But as you've seen, Jeff. Uh, we've had a revolving door uh, to some extent in media relations at UCF. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not even sure who's the longest tenured guy right now in media relations. Is it Sealy? I think it's Andy. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's not that, you know, like Doug Richards would be a guy that I think should be considered to be perhaps somebody uh, uh, to be in a committee because he saw a lot of basketball. UCF I think basketball. Doug Richards should be in the Hall of Fame personally. I mean, I'm just saying. Now that's an interesting <laughs> thing. Wow, you're going into media relations. I don't disagree with this, by the way. I think you could make a category for that. Uh, but I think that's going to be fascinating to me. But I think softball, I think it's time is the front runner there. Yeah. If you're going to get somebody in from softball, I don't think there's anybody in volleyball that can get in this year. I think they're a bit of a long shot. Uh, I think Campbell, Aaron Campbell and Meredith Murphy are the ones that kind of jumps out, but I don't think they get in, at least not this year. Because I get it, it's a stacked deal. That's what happens when you wait four years, Jeff. The, that list kind of compiles, and now you've got a big, big mm-hmm. list. And we haven't even discussed coaches. I know, yeah. We haven't even gotten to, you know, uh, could Amanda Cromwell get in or um, or, or Renee uh, Lourdes Gillespie? I mean, you know, it, she certainly could be eligible to get in um, starting the there's program. There's a couple of controversial ones. Uh, Jean McDowell is not in. That okay, is that, that, this is one team. where I think we need to – this is where yeah. – yeah, let, let's jump off at this stop real quick and, and talk. So – so you've heard that the, the debate over Gene McDowell is fervent, and yes. that is highly understandable. I'm going to read for you the nomination qualifications for honorary letter winners, which is the former coaches and everybody else category. All right. Following criteria for coaches shall be evaluated on their body of work at UCF, including win-loss records, significant national victories, or finishes conference championships, participation in postseason competition, final national rankings, academic achievements of the student athletes, including graduation progress rates and or sustained academic progress rates, social contributions of the student athletes within the University of Orlando communities, as well as statewide and nationally. So that's for coaches, number one. Number two, good citizenship. To be eligible for selection, the individual must possess and shall have demonstrated qualities of sportsmanship, character, and integrity. The individual is not eligible if they have previously been convicted of or pled guilty to any felony criminal 
activity. So, why does this affect Gene McDowell? Well, those of you who knew about Gene McDowell knew, know how everything, you know, kind of came apart for him. Uh, now, it should be noted that he's been re-embraced by the university in 2015. You know, they brought him back. Um, and uh, George O'Leary had a little ceremony for him at a football game, which was really good. You know, kind of the university kind of opening up his arms. I mean, his win-loss record speaks for himself. What he did for UCF speaks for himself. Uh, speaks for itself. I'm not going to go back over all that. It's just, it's just obvious. Okay. The problem is how his career as UCF's head coach ended. Obviously, there was, a, there was the whole cell phone thing. Uh, the FBI raided UCF's locker room for, you know, basically illegal cell phones. Um, and uh, it, this is reading from the Orlando Sentinel, dated May 8th, 1998. Federal judge chided Gene McDowell on Thursday for his, quote, unforgivable, end quote, role in the cellular telephone scandal that cost him his job as head football coach at the University of Central Florida. U.S. District Judge Ann Conway sentenced McDowell, 58, to two years probation, a $2,000 fine, and community service. McDowell had pleaded guilty to lying to federal agents and prosecutors investigating the use of stolen phone numbers by, phone numbers by members of UCF's football team Last fall, Conway said the cover-up, which is also which also included urging several football players to lie, was a serious crime that could have been punished more harshly. Blah 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 blah. McDowell, who compiled an eighty-six and sixty-one record in thirteen years at UCF, saw UCF by the way from Division Two to Division One A, was contrite in court, apologizing to friends, the public, and the university in a brief statement. Um. It goes into details of U.S. Secret Service agents searched the team's locker room on October 28th, 1997, looking for, looking for up to 17 cell phones with numbers stolen from AT&T. Um, the numbers let players make free calls. Agents found four phones but arrested uh, one former UCF player who had worked as an AT&T technician. Um, it, it was... It, 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 it was a mess. It was a real freaking mess. All right. Um, the the problem is that qualification is that qualification, right? You know, Gene McDowell has unfortunately, it's true, a you know, felony on his on his criminal record, and uh, and that's at least as of right now. According to the rules of the Hall of the UCF Hall of Fame, what's keeping him out? Right. So my question to you is, should they change the rule? That's a it's a top. I see both sides of this story. Right. Uh, I've had I've talked to many different people who are on different sides on this. That's how divided this is. Because I mean, it's really uh, it's 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 hard, man. I mean, I mean, Gene McDowell, you could say is the the grandfather of UCF sure. athletics. Or, or, and certainly UCF football, no question. Well, here's let me ask you this question. Then, because somebody asked me this question, and I don't know the answer to this question, and I'm, maybe you have an answer. What, how you would uh, handle this? What if you put a UCF pl uh, player or whoever into the Hall of Fame, and next thing you know, they got charged with a felony right after they got inducted? What do you do then? Do you kick them out? Do they stay in? I don't know. That sounds like um, a question for the people who are running the sh running the whole no, thing. Correct. Running correct. the show, you know. Um, and look, no one condones you know, all that stuff that happens. But look, 
Brandon Marshall, who we, we spoke about, who could be in, and maybe this keeps him out. Who knows? He did have some off-field issues himself. Yeah, but I believe they were felony. misdemeanors. They weren't felonies. Okay, but I'm just saying, I mean, he was suspended by the NFL for uh, for NFL personal conduct policy back in 2008. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had some issues. I mean, he's, he's turned his life around. Uh, but he, you know, and, and things like that. But there was some, he ran into some running issues. So, I mean, they got into a fight, and he got into a fight, and in in it was a criminal warrant on a condo in Atlanta and early on in his life. Uh, does that affect, should that affect you getting into the Hall of Fame? I don't know. Bruce Miller, who haven't, we have brought up, has had some off field issues recently, unfortunately, and it's not been pretty at all. Uh, does that keep him out? Or do you just base it on on-field performance? I don't know. That's a tough question. I see both sides of it. I think the McDowell case is unique because it's a felony, but basically he lied, right? It was basically he lied. It wasn't like he harmed somebody in in, in a violent right. way. So I think that's is that a, is that something that should keep somebody out? Uh, some say yes. Some say no. Um, I personally that's... would have him in. My thing is if the school welcome him back which they did right uh in 2015 at some point you gotta let those things go right like woody hayes punched a kid in his last game as head coach of ohio state he punched a clemson kid in the gator bowl on national yeah, he punched television. charlie bauman after charlie bauman uh, and, got that interception at the citrus bowl <laughs> yes and so uh actually it was, i think it was jacksonville actually i think it's what it was oh yeah uh, you're right it was the gator it was bowl in the i'm jacksonville sorry one, yeah in the gator bowl but nonetheless I mean, that didn't like. It's not like Woody Hayes is not in the Hall of Fame because they didn't take him away from the Hall of Fame. So there's a balance there. And I, you know, with UCF, we have that issue with some people there. Gene McDowell there. I, I personally would have Gene in. Uh, I think time has kind of, you know, I mean, he is a big part of UCF football. He helped get them to that Division One status. I know it ended ugly, uh, but like Bob Knight's run ended ugly at Indiana. Does that mean he's not a Hall of Fame basketball coach at Indiana? Would you not put him in because of how it ended? At IU because of the allegations because he's you know right. strangled a kid. But but I right? think you're I think, think you're talking about you know the difference between like misdemeanors which you know in Bobby Knight's case would be like you know misdemeanor assault right. But it, but, but, but there's a difference. It. Okay, but 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 I th- but if you're going by the book, which a lot of these yeah. guys do, guys and gals, um, you know, a felony is a felony. Like that's. That's really right, serious, but, you know. And you know, you're lying to federal investigators. Now, I, I personally believe that Gene McDowell should be in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. Now, I don't know how you get him in. Do you waive that rule? Do you make a special exception? I don't know. I, 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 hell, if if it was up to me, I would name the football field after Gene McDowell because. That's how important that I know he was to getting UCF in position to do what it did in the 2000s. Was that that stretch of time from 85 to 97 when he was the head coach? Um, and you can draw a direct line from Mike Kruzek back to him because Mike Kruzek was his offensive coordinator for so long. I, I just I, I think a lot of people want to bite the bullet. I, you know, the the the, the ult- ultimately the people who have the final say in this is the committee itself. And the committee itself has the ability to, you know, as just like every committee, has the ability to change the eligibility requirements, you know, and, you know, and they can do it themselves. Now, do they choose to do it? Is there enough, you know, when they meet, you know, is there enough um, momentum in the room to get that requirement changed? 
you know, I don't know. That's up to them. I do know that if there is and they do and they do do that, Gene McDowell needs to get in. Period. End of discussion. Um, whatever happens, whatever happens to get to that position. What about who knows, man? An incident that we never really that there was no guilty or anything like that. That maybe they, I don't know what happened. Like for example, Jay Bergman got into an, an issue that ended his career ugly. Yeah, ugly. But I don't think there was ever official guilt. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't adjudicated. It didn't. I, I don't. Thank you. It, yeah, it didn't go into at least as far as I know. Someone, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I don't believe that got into the court system. It did cost him his job. Yes. And um, that was in 2008. Yeah. Again, in 2008. What is it about these situations with these coaches where it goes great and then it just <laughs> falls apart at the end? Man, come on! Can't somebody ride off into the sunset? Um, well, I would say George O'Leary, but that's not. Nope, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> but this is what's hard. You this do is, with Jay. I mean, Jay Bergman yeah. is UCF baseball. You cannot write, you cannot talk about UCF baseball history at all without Jay Bergman at right. all. Go ask any player. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, shoot, ask. You could probably ask, you know, current players and. And coaches, and they and they understand and respect the the foundation that Jay laid here. Um, well, a lot of players stayed away from the program because Jay Bergman wasn't welcome back. Right. Yeah, a lot of alumni, program. you mean? Alumni, yeah. Thank yeah. You. Um, and we were there in the Hall of Fame in, in 2015 when D. Brown acknowledged him and Clay Tipner both made sure to acknowledge Jay Bergman in their speeches. Yeah. And how important he is. Uh, I understand it ended ugly. I understand why. And, and I didn't, you know, but, you know, I've seen the different side. I knew the other side of Jay Bergman, too, that was very kind and did a lot of good things. And, and right. I think it's we have to. I don't I don't I don't have all the answers on that. But the guy is UCF baseball. And it's hard to me to take the Hall of Fame seriously if the guy that is responsible for his, maybe your most successful sport up until recently with football's takeoff. That is not in. I mean, some people have a problem with that. Well, I, you know, I, it, this is the same thing with that you say with Gene with me. I do see both Agreed. sides to that, and um, you know, I'm not going to go into the details of, of you know what led to Jay's firing. You can you you listening at home can research that yourself. Suffice it to say, it's not pretty, um, and especially nowadays, the way it would be looked at is is you know is particularly. Um, is particularly sensitive, but well, I agree. I, but again, that's why I wanted to bring up there was no guilty verdicts. There right. Was no well, well it wasn't. Yeah, it was. It didn't go through the courts, but that doesn't make it any less bad, you know. And, and we don't. Right. But right. 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 But we don't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We so don't know so the it's really hard for me to. Man, I just you got to sit there and you just rack your brain and you think about it and you're like, I just don't know. I really. Don't know. That's why these people debate this, and that's why the debate is is that's why heated. They spend six seven hours in a committee meeting. Yes, right. Correct. That's why. That's why they spend all day sitting there, you know, debating this together. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, evidence on 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 every side of this. And um, man, I just wish I was in that room. <laughs> I really do because I just think it would be so interesting. Um, and I'm interested to well, hear the I'm arguments wondering. and the things that and 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 hear about the things that I don't know. You know, as someone who, you know, loves UCF and really cares about the history of the university, it's, uh, it's, you know, I just want to know what, what the people in the room are thinking, you know? It's also going to be interesting, too, like a George O'Leary, 
Does he yeah. get in or does he not get in in part because of a gene? You know, some people are like, wait a minute, if Gene's not in, I don't want George in yet. Or does George get in and how is that going to sit right. with other people? I, I don't know. That's going to be very fascinating because I think George is definitely in play for this Hall of Fame class. Yeah. So, because there is no waiting period for coaches. Right. So. Are you surprised? That's weird, isn't it? Like the coaching. No, no, I, I don't. I don't think that's weird. I mean, it's it's obvious if you've done your if you've done your your service to UCF that you should. Right. Be, like I, I think like I think Amanda Cromwell should be in, but her career is not done right now. So I don't. I think you right. have to wait till her career is done, don't you? I mean, no, her UCF of, career is done. It's if if she if it's ba- it should be based in you know on what they did for UCF, right? Service to the university. Sure. And but. but but technically, you could they could say that her career is not done. Who's to say she doesn't come back to UCF down the road? I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying you kind of keep that open, right? Like you, right. you want to avoid like a Joe Gibbs situation where he comes back like a decade later and comes back and coaches. I'm not saying I disagree with you. Well, I don't. Think- I, I don't. Th- I don't think that that's like you know in some universe in the future. I don't think that's a big deal. All right. Well, in that case, let me ask you this: Should okay. Kirk Sparrow be? Yeah, there's another right good now. question. I, I you know I, I I know that I would get. I would be prepared to vote for him if, yeah. um, if called upon. You know, I, 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 especially considering, you know, what he was able to do for you. So four conference championships, um, yeah. four trips to the NCAA. Um, He's came, a current assistant at Iowa. Current assistant at Iowa, but you know, I mean, look at what he did for UCF. It's just the proof is in the pudding, man. I, I think that's that's another one. All right, we got to get right. out of here because we have a right. we've been going on long enough. Um, we're almost as long as the meeting is going to be. So, <laughs> so all right. I want to. I want you to give me your five, and then I'll give you. This is my, my choice, five. correct? Right, yeah, not your I, I, your choices. All right. If you if you have got your five choices on your ballot, who are you putting in? I'm putting in Kevin Smith. Okay. Uh, he's eligible. Arguably the best football player ever in the history of this program, if not two or three. It's a very short list. I think he should be in. Uh, I would put him in. I think Jermaine Taylor should be in. Mm-hmm. He's the greatest basketball player in the history of this program. We should any. I think I don't have a problem if he's the first Division One player to be inducted to Hall of Fame. Uh, I think that would be great. Uh, so I would put him in. Uh, I would put Allison Kime in. I think she's the best, arguably the best softball player ever, two-way player. Uh, I think she would be my third choice in that class. I think now the two. I actually do think I will put George O'Leary in. I think George is going to get in. He helped UCF football get to a first Fiesta Bowl. I think his track record speaks for itself on the field. He turned UCF – when UCF arrived there, they didn't know what it really what it took to be a successful Division One program. And I think George, not just on the field, but tell, you know, helping to get these facilities, like the indoor facility and, and, mm-hmm. and running the football program like Division One. I. I think George is getting in. Uh, oh, boy. One more. This is tough, man. And we're not even on the committee. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. I will go with my fifth one. See, I I mean, I'm not going to vote for McDowell because they're not going to, they're not going to. Right. Let's, ass- yeah, let's assume that Gene is not eligible. Nope. And I don't think Bergman's getting in because of what, how that ended. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go. I will go Clay Tipner. Okay, that's a but good I, class, you man. Can make a lot of arguments for a lot of this. You can make a lot of arguments. All right, I'm going to go. All right, I'm going to go a different direction. Okay. All right, here we go. I'm gonna, the two guys we talked to in this podcast. I would put in. I would put in Darren in Slack this class. in this class. 
because I think it's way overdue. Mark, Mark Giacone, who is way overdue, and Darren Slack, who is way, way, way overdue. All right? So I got my two football guys. Uh, I would put in uh, Alina Reyes. I thought about her for the fifth okay. choice. I'm, I'm okay with that. I yep. put in Alina Reyes. I would put in... All right, here, I'm going to get real wild with my last two. All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. Phil Dalhauser. Oh, boy, I hate this Yeah, I, I saw, no, I, hey, Olympics, now, this would go right? Now, is this on the category of a non-player, you know, no, is that uh, under, uh, what category it, is he it going would under? Be, he would be under a, um, where is it? Legendary Knight, Legendary Knight, former student athlete, shall have achieved one of the more of the following, participated in the Olympic athlete. Games, good academic standing, good citizenship, through the waiting period, um. Yeah, I I would put it based on that. I would I would have Phil Dalhauser in there. Um, even though UCF never had men's volleyball, Phil Dalhauser is okay. a UCF alum. Okay, Phil. All right. He attended university. He attended the university. Grad. And I'm I'm pretty sure he graduated from UCF. Um. Anyway. Uh. And then. Uh. I got a I got a good one for you here. Renee Lourdes Gillespie. I don't see them putting her in this quickly. I, mean, I don't either, but you know, the length of her service to UCF, almost two decades, um, the fact that she's the only UCF coach and probably will be the only UCF coach to have won conference championships in three different leagues. Oh, yeah. Started the program um, and got it to where it is. You, you know, I, I would say... I would say yeah that she's that she's Hall of Fame worthy. I don't think that's the argument. No, I mean yeah, I'm not saying. Well, yeah, I'm not saying that. You know, there's there's no debate about whether or not she is. I would just put her in because uh, so there you go. You would put her in right now. Right now, you you would just over Kirk Sparrow, uh, for example. Uh, because I only have I I only have five slots. Yeah. I only have, because I only have five slots. Me see, now you're making. Oh God, I hate this. Don't you? That's great. That's why there should not be a limit on five. We just proved there should be more. It should not be a there limit. Should, there should be more. Yeah. Here's class. what we need to do. We need we need more than five, and we need it every year. Amen. I'm signed off more, on that. Okay. Now I would. Now that's what I would vote for. I I would vote for a change in the rules. We need more than uh, more than a limit of five, and we need, uh, and we need we need to have this every Preach. year because we're get we're getting to that point now. All right, um, Eric Lopez. Thanks once again as we wrap this thing up. It's a blast. Uh, this is really good, man. We I hope we do this again. And listen, I I doubt highly that the people who are on the Hall of Fame committee are even listening to this. But if you are, <laughs> we're always willing to help out. <laughs> yes, and you know where to find us. Bad. We we will write a recap on how you did. So no yes, pressure. we will grade. We, yeah, we will grade. At, we, we will grade the class. Uh, there's no question about it. You know, I mean, after all, we need the content. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Elo, what you got coming up, man? Just waiting to see what they decide to do in that direction with the Hall of Fame. And uh, we'll try, you know, certainly as soon as, you know, we probably won't know who's inducted for another handful of uh, maybe a week, a couple of weeks. Right. But uh, we'll try to get them on the podcast. We'll get some reactions to that. We'll certainly react. I'm also got some TV numbers coming out 
with the UCF upcoming uh, with UCF Memphis basketball and women's basketball TV numbers and uh, all those goodies uh, all coming up on the banner. Right. We got a lot of stuff coming up. We also have a regular podcast this week recapping the war on I four in basketball. Lots going on. Lots going on. And I want to say a special thank you once again as we finish out to Darren Slack and Mark Giacone who um, gave of their time uh, to to me to do these interviews for this, which is just so great to talk to them. Uh, they're both fantastic. Um, I, I don't I don't think Mark is on Twitter, unfortunately. I know Darren is. Make sure you follow him at Darren Slack. Um, just they're they're both to me they're to me they're both legends and they and they should be in the hall. I hope they get in um, this time around, uh, and if not, I hope they get in very soon thereafter because they both deserve it uh, for that recognition. And I want to thank them for their uh, their kindness and their insight and just providing you know some some great stories and some great memories. It's really fantastic. So glad I got to meet and talk to the two of them. All right. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a special UCF Athletics Hall of Fame edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Make sure you follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, and facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Download our other podcast this week, like we said, and uh, we will catch you for that one along with uh, Brian Murphy. For Eric, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. We'll be recapping the Hall of Fame uh, next week.